I was on mute. I apologize. Uh, welcome to the show. It is time for Pocono and Utah's NASCAR Weekend Preview with Hot Topic Sound Off. And joining us is our co-host, Jay Huseman. Welcome, Jay. Oh, sure. uh, I was about to panic because I, I heard the cues that I was unmuted and I was waiting for you to introduce me and start the show. And I was like, I got nothing. So <laughs> well, I was about I did, to hit that panic nobody button. Heard it. <laughs> yeah, I did, but nobody heard it because I was on mute. So I had to do it again. So I apologize for that. Uh, all right. Now then, just uh, uh, a run through of uh, what we're going to talk about tonight because I do have an error in our agenda for tonight. In this first half hour, we actually have two Arkham Menard Series races to preview. One is the Arkham Menard Series West. They're racing at Utah Motorsports Campus uh, this weekend. And then also the Arkham Menard Series is racing at Pocono this weekend. So both of those previews will happen in the first half hour. We'll probably take about 15 minutes for each one. If we get a chance, we'll give a quick update from the Arkham and Art Series East. Uh, at the 9 o'clock half hour, we will preview the Gander and RV Outdoor Truck Series at Pocono. At 9.20, we'll get into the Xfinity Series uh, preview at Pocono. And then at 9.40, we preview the NASCAR Cup Series doubleheader at Pocono this weekend. They're racing both Saturday and Sunday. Of course, 10 o'clock is our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our fan racing crew. And, uh, Jay, from what I can tell, I think it's just the two of us again. I did invite Chris to join us, but I know he's on his show right now. I'm not sure if he's going to be able to join us or not. Okay. Again, I knew Mike had said he was pretty busy all week. Uh, I hadn't seen, again, anything from Andy. We missed those guys. Uh, Got a couple of topics, though, to talk about tonight. Really wanted their input on. Well, Mike is in the process of uh, documenting that for me right now, so uh, I'll be able to give some of his input during our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, but for right now, I think we need to uh, really delve into our uh, Arkham Menard Series West race. They are back on track and with a double header, no less. Uh, this weekend at Utah Motorsports Campus. Uh, They are racing Saturday, June the 27th at 4 p.m. Mountain Time and then again at 5.30 p.m. Mountain Time. So I believe that would be, uh, let's see, 6 and 7.30 Eastern Time. So those races are going to be uh, available on TrackPass, the NBC Gold Live, if you want to watch the live streaming. And then, of course, the delayed broadcast is going to take place Friday, July the 3rd at 2.30 p.m., and then the second race will air at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, the track is a 2.5-mile paved oval, and uh, uh, it's going to be really a lot of fun to see these guys back on track. Uh, Both of these races are the annual Sunrise Ford Twins, uh, presented by the West Coast Stock Car Hall of Fame, which is uh, a pretty big deal. Uh, And again, those races are this Saturday, June the 27th. So definitely mark your calendars for those events. And we've seen this before from the 
Arkham Menards East and West series where we've seen them do the double header. So this is nothing new for them. Uh, but again, such a huge shift in points. I know Trevor Huddle, Trevor Huddleston has done it where he's won back to back and really put himself in championship contention. We'll see if he can do that again this year. And just the way the points will shake out following a double header like that is really exciting. It is exciting. And uh, there's a lot to look forward to in this race. Uh, again, it's a doubleheader event. Uh, the event will feature uh, Road Course Ringer as well as the uh, resumption of the West Title Chase. Both the races, again, are available on Track Pass on NBC Gold. Now, Jesse Love made his Arkham and Art Series debut in February, and uh, he had a, an amazing run finishing runner-up that was at the Bullring at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. He's just 15 years old from Menlo Park, California, and he stepped into the number 19 Napa Power Premium Plus Toyota, and he now arrives at Utah as the de facto points leader as the Bullring winner, Sam Mayer, is not entered this weekend. So he's going to be joined by a quartet of Bill McAnally Racing teammates, including Lawless Allen, uh, we mentioned Jesse Love, Holly Holland, and Gracie Trotter. So two females and two guys all racing for Bill McAnally Racing this week. And that's quite the team there uh, in and of itself. But there's some other drivers, and I know you're going next. They're all going to be chasing one. It says they may be chasing one. I think they're going to be. Well, we'll have to see because there is a road course ringer in the in the race this weekend. But before we get to that, uh, there are there are the other there is the other side of the championship uh, battle that's going on in the West, and that's the Sunrise Ford drivers, Trevor Huddleston and Blaine Perkins. I look for both of them to have good finishes this weekend. Uh, Perkins was third in Las Vegas, and Huddleston, who finished fourth in the West standings last year, finished fifth at Las Vegas. Now, the one that they're all going to be chasing, though, I'm guessing, <laughs> is going to be Will Rogers. Is that who you were talking about? It was. I, I jumped the gun a little bit there. I, I know going through the notes, but uh, I don't see how that how that you don't put him at the top. Uh, 25-year-old, <laughs> originally from Maui, Hawaii, has four wins across the east and west, all on road courses, in the number seven car for Jeff Jefferson. Now, he's won at California's Sonoma Raceway, New Jersey Motorsports Park twice, and Watkins Glen International. But it doesn't just end there. The Jefferson cars have been dominated on the East and West road courses. In addition to Rogers, who was runner-up at Watkins Glen in 2018, Noah Gregson swept the two-day doubleheader in Utah the last time West visited in 2016 and was runner-up at Sonoma that year in the number seven. Now, Kevin Harvick drove the number four for Jerry Pitts over runner-up Rogers in the number seven at Sonoma in 2017. And Gregson returned to the West to put the number seven back in victory lane last year at Sonoma. So that driver and team combination going to be really tough to beat. It is. Now, the driver with the most experience at Utah is also the only other one with a win there. Todd Souza is making his eighth start in the number 13 Central Coast Cabinets Toyota. He's a 55-year-old from Aromas, 
California and has scored his only career win in 2008 on the Get This Day 3,060-mile course. He has three top tens, including a fifth in the second race of 2016. So uh, he's another one that fans may want to keep their eye on this weekend out at Utah Motorsports Campus. Uh, It's a huge, huge track, and uh, these guys are going to have a lot of fun. I think so, and that's why I love the fact that they do have it as a doubleheader. I believe 30 laps each for each race. I know when I first saw that, I was like, wow, but, again, being a three-mile road course uh, certainly does come into play. Um, I think uh, Road America maybe is the longest at four miles, so I think that might be the second longest road course. Yep, yep. Yeah, there there will be two 30-lap races uh, that they'll run that day. It is 66 miles for each race. Uh, and as we look at the crew chief handout for this week, uh, the starting field is limited to 22 cars, including the provisional spots. Uh, the field is set by the 2020 owner points uh, for positions 1 through 20, and then they'll do a random draw for positions 21 through 30. Uh, now, the remaining six spots are awarded through the provisional process. I don't think that's going to be applicable uh, at this race, but the event will run under the 2020 Arkham and Art Series rules, procedures, and regulations and specifications. For qualifying race one, the starting position will be set by each car's fastest recorded lap in the qualifying session. Race two, the starting position is going to be set by each vehicle's fastest lap from race number one. So no adjustments or repairs can be made on the car after taking the green flag at the start-finish line. So pit stops during this event will be for making repairs and adjustments only. No tires or fuels can be changed or added. So that's going to be kind of an unusual caveat into this race. The maximum tire purchase for the track uh, this weekend is eight tires for practice, Uh, four tires for qualifying, and to begin the race for each event for a total of 16 tires. So uh, once they begin that race, there's no tire changes or or anything like that. That certainly does make it interesting. The other unique thing that I heard you say there that I didn't realize was that second race being inverted – or set based off of their fast time throughout the race, not the finish. Everything we've seen on the uh, right. top level has been from the finish of this ra- the previous race, not that fast time. So I think that's kind of an interesting take. I like to see that they're doing something just a little bit different. Yes, okay. Now, just to clarify, because I want to make sure. Oh, yes, yeah, pitting during this event will be making for repairs and adjustments only. No tires or fuels can be changed or added. I just saw um, the previous statement and thought maybe I had overlooked something there, but uh, it does specifically say no tires or fuel can be changed or added. So, yeah, that's kind of an unusual caveat. It is, but again, I think with the the lighter cars, a little bit less uh, horsepower than that, on a road course as well, uh, road courses aren't normally known to eat up tires. Um, definitely still going to make it interesting as strategy will come into play because it'll be a matter of how hard you push and when you push. Uh, so it'll still have a strategy to it. It just won't be a matter of tire usage. It'll be on the track instead of in the pit. 
All right. Now, I want to make sure we represent everybody. There there are actually only 14 drivers, so uh, we don't have to worry about them going all the way up to 30. So all of those drivers will be set by owner's points. Uh, some of the ones that we have not yet mentioned include the driver of the number zero car, Barbara Hills Jr., driving for his own team in a Toyota, uh, Chris Wright in the number seven, driving for Jerry Pitts, uh, in a Chevrolet uh, for Pitts Racing. And then, uh, let's see, Gio Skelsey. Uh He'll be in the number 16 car for uh, Napa Auto Parts uh, for uh, 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 for Curb Racing. And then Taylor Gray, the brother of uh, Tanner Gray, is racing for DGR Crossway. He'll be in the number 17 car. Let's see, Takuma Koga is racing in the number 77 uh, for Joe Nava, and he'll be driving a Toyota. And then Bill Kaminsky in the number 80 car, driving for Brian Kaminsky, that's his own team, with Derek Copeland as his crew chief. As a note there, he'll be driving a Chevrolet. And then we've already mentioned uh, uh, Bill McAnally. Uh, and his Gracie Trotter in the number 99 uh, Enyo's car. And uh, the one there that I kind of find interesting, I think what – I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead, Jay. Is that mine? Go ahead. Uh, Keeping an eye on Taylor Gray, you mentioned brother of Tanner Gray, with the DGR Crosley again with him becoming Ford's developmental program, um, Mm -hmm. especially here on the west side, giving Taylor Gray – this opportunity, I think, is going to be one to really keep your eye on. Without a doubt. Uh, I think it's going to be an exciting race with just the 15 cars in the race, and uh, uh, fans will definitely want to keep an eye out for this race. If you can watch it, um, that live streaming on Track Pass at NBC Gold, uh, that would be fantastic. Uh, Jay, let's go over the standings now out there in the West. I know there's only one race in the books. All right, let me see 2020 ARCA West standings. Okay. Uh, again, as you mentioned, only one race in. Sam Mayer was the points leader by six points. He is not entered, so that'll slide Jesse Love and these guys up, how they finish in these two races. Uh, going to be so huge right now, but Jesse Love currently in second. Obviously, Sam Mayer is going to drop. Blaine Perkins in third was eight back. Gracie Trotter, nine back. Trevor Huddleston, uh, 10 back. Then you had Lawless Allen, J- Jack Wood, Todd Souza, Austin Reed, and Geo Skelsey. And that only runs 15 points back. Again, with one race, you're seeing one, two point differences in these point standings. Right now, 17 drivers, the whole points gap was only 22. Uh, with this double header, we saw some of the names, a uh, couple on there that aren't entered this weekend, a couple of new ones going to pop in. Uh, really going to shake that up, especially two races in one day. Okay, uh, so definitely tune in for that race. It's time for us to now move on to the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, they have a real quick turnaround uh, and heading to Pocono this weekend. They raced last weekend at Talladega, and now they're racing again at Pocono Raceway this weekend. Uh, Friday, June the 26th at 6, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. That race will be televised on Fox Sports 1, uh, 1 p.m. Central. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> uh, it sounds like it's going to be televised before it takes place. 
so that yeah. race will be on Fox Sports 1. Uh, so check your local listings to make sure you have the right time. Uh, it will also be on radio on MRN and Sirius XM radio channel 385 online and channel 985 if you're listening live. Again, this is a 2.5 paved oval at Pocono Raceway, and uh, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch these guys race. It certainly is. And, again, if you go to the Arkham Menards homepage, get some information uh, not only about this race, what's been happening. I know we're talking about the quick turnaround to Pocono, but Drew Dollar's win gave Bill Venturini the General Tire Super Speedway Challenge lead. You can catch up on the uh, race there at Utah, as well as some things on Kentucky and Indy coming up that we'll preview as we get to those races. Yes. Okay, now it's just six days uh, after racing the high bank. Uh, uh, they're returning to the high bank half mile uh, to the from the 2.66 high speed Talladega Super Speedway. Uh, so um, now now they'll be at the 2.5 mile three turn T- Pocono Raceway, which is what they call the tricky triangle. Uh, out in Pennsylvania for the general tire hashtag anywhere is possible 200 at Pocono. Uh, now, what we're watching for, you mentioned it, Jay. Venturini Motorsports put on a really impressive display at Talladega Super Speedway with Drew Dollar edging out his teammate Ryan Repko for the win and giving the organization its third different winner in three races so far this season. But now the attention turns to Pocono where the team has run very well, but there hasn't always that always hasn't uh translated into success. Christian Eckes driven has driven the number fifteen for Venturini. He uh won last July, but it was the team's first win there since June of twenty twelve. In the interim span of fourteen races they collected twelve top fives but were kept out of victory lane. Now, Venturini's Michael Self also has a pair of top fives and three starts at the track. He carries an 11-point lead over Drew Dollar. And Chandler Smith, who won at Phoenix, returns back to the number 20 this weekend, and Dollar will look to make it a back-to-back win. He'll be back in the number 15. Well, and we heard heard from uh, Drew Dollar on Monday night. Definitely got some great confidence and momentum coming into the race. But the one there that that I want want to watch to see is Chandler Smith. He's been known as the short mm-hmm. track king, again only eligible to start certain races, and made the most of it, taking poles and victories. To see him now on this 2.5 mile in the Venturini team, uh, see where he falls in line there as he gets to run on these bigger tracks. Absolutely. Uh, another driver that fans are definitely going to be watching this weekend includes Haley Deegan. She finished seventh at Pocono in her debut there last May. Um, right now she's just three points back of uh, Drew Dollar after collecting her third straight top ten finish to start this season. Uh, but another driver, uh, Brett Holmes, won as a car owner with Grant Infinger in, two, in June of 2016. And right now he's sitting in fourth after a very strong third-place run at Talladega. It was home's second straight podium finish 
uh, he, because he was third in the Arkham Art Series East race the previous weekend at Ohio Toledo Speedway. So he's hoping to do better <laughs> when he comes into Pocono. We'll have to wait and see if that indeed does happen. It's certainly going to be interesting to watch. Uh, you mentioned uh, Haley Deegan. That's one that, again, another one that as she has developed and moved up to the main Arkham Nard series, uh, we haven't gotten to see a whole lot of. Again, started uh, this year, had a few starts last year, but full-time this year, and, and battling against the Venturini Motorsports, which we already talked about. They're going to be contenders, so we got to look at some of those that are going to challenge those top contending teams. Yes, indeed, yeah, which is going to make it a lot of fun to watch all season long. So after sitting out at Talladega, Ty Gibbs now returns back to the number 18, uh, Monster Terrible Herbst Orca Toyota. He Gibbs actually won in that same car at Toledo, and Riley Herbst nearly won in it at Talladega. Now, Todd Gilliland, July, and Herbst in May were both runner-ups at Pocono last July in that number 18 Toyota. So uh, that car is going to be one to watch as well. It certainly is, and that is one of them that as a team you got to watch as far as contending with the Venturini Motorsports. They, they um, don't have one consistent driver throughout the year. You mentioned Riley Herbst, Ty Gibbs, another one. If I had to pick right now, I'd have to go with him finishing second, unfortunately. He's got that covered, but going to be a contender and in there battling. All right. Moving on to the crew chief uh, handout, uh, the starting field for the general tire hashtag anywhere as possible 200 is limited to 36 drivers. Uh, I don't believe we have th- that many that are in the field. The field will be set by the 2020 owner points for positions 1 through 20, If there are more than 20, it will be a random draw for positions 21 through 30 and the remaining six spots awarded through the provisional process. I don't think we have to worry about that, but again, they are running under the 2020 Arkham Menard Series rules, procedures, regulations, and specifications. Now, there will be no qualifying for the Arkham Menard Series this weekend at Pocono. Again, for pit stops, there's no adding or moving tires to or from the pit box once the race has started. There's a maximum of four crew members may service the car, and no tires and fuel may be added outside of the break. Uh, so they usually do a halfway mark break. Um, the General Tire Super Speedway Challenge uh, will be, this is going to be race number four of that challenge, and it recognizes the car owner who accumulates the most points in the designated events. Now, this race will be eight laps or 200 miles, and it is to be run in three segments. So I mentioned halfway. This time it's split up three ways. The race will have the first break at or near the conclusion of lap 20. Uh, The race will have their second break at or near the conclusion of lap 50. And, of course, at the conclusion of the breaks, Vehicles will line up in the order they were running at the beginning of the break. The tire allotment per the ARCA rule book is the maximum number of tires allowed in the pit box for use in the race, which is eight. And as you mentioned there, uh, looking at the entry list that I got right now anyway, 
off of uh, this race page there at Arca Home, the Arca Home page. Uh, there are exactly 20, so they will be set by the lineup uh, or by the owner's points, as you mentioned. Okay, let's mention some of the ones that we haven't already mentioned, Jay. All right, well, I know we kind Sorry. of uh, hit on some of these already on Monday night as we did a quick glance, but for Hillenburg Racing, we got Tommy V. Jr., as well as Ryan uh, Tommy V. is going to be in the zero one. Ryan Huff in the number 10, and Clay Greenfield in the number 11, and Ed Pompa in the number 12. So that rounds out your four Hillenburg machines. All right. Uh, Wayne Peterson will have uh, Don Peterson in the number zero. Uh, Tim Richmond will be in the zero six. And let me see if there's any other. I believe that's it for the Peterson cars. Moving down to one that has to be considered a contender for sure, possibly a winner, is the 21 of Sam Mayer uh, for Gallagher Racing. Uh, We've seen how dominant he has been to start this season. And then on Monday, I know we mentioned the 22 is going to be Derek Griffith running for Chad Bryant, and that is the only Chad Bryant machine I see. I thought they sometimes have two, two cars. I'm only seeing the one on this one. Right. Also, we have uh, Russ Lane in the number eight for his own team this weekend. He's driving a Toyota. uh, And Ryan, well, we mentioned Ryan Huff already, but we mentioned the Venturini cars. Tanner Gray, we mentioned Taylor Gray in the west. Tanner Gray is racing at Pocono in the number 17 car for DGR Crossley. And I believe for Bola Mastis, you have uh, in the number 46 car, Dad Moffitt. Then you get down to Brad Smith running for his own team in the number 48, as he does. And then Scott Melton driving for Bill Kimmel. And the final entry on the list that we have here anyway is Sean Core driving for John Core. All right. And uh, let's. Uh, I'm going to do the point standings here as well. We've got Michael Self in the lead. Uh, he is 11 points ahead of uh, Drew Dollar followed by Haley Deegan at 14 points back and Brett Holmes at 24 back. Uh, Thad Moffitt has that fifth-place spot 27 points back. So uh, these guys already have three races in the book, so uh, that's something uh, uh, to – that's why there's so much more of a gap in this series than the uh, West. Also, we've got uh, Tanner Gray in the number six spot, Riley Erbst in seventh, John Core in eighth, Ryan Huff is ninth, and Tim Richen, Richmond rounds out that top ten, Jay. Well, now, and a couple of, of these drivers driver- only have two. Yeah, go ahead. There you go. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Now, Sean Core is on the list. Riley Herbst is not, so that should push him back. So then you got 11th and 12th. Uh, 11th is Scott Melton, who has entered only two starts, and he's 63 points back. 12th would be Ryan Repco, but he is not entered. So I'm going to see a little bit of shifting there. Uh, Ty Gibbs and Chandler Smith, we mentioned, they each only have one start a little bit further down in points. We'll move up, but again, I don't think they're running the full season. So we'll see, again, not only the ones that are running full-time, getting all the starts going to move up, but within that, depending on how they finish, the adjustment uh, within the points. Uh, but right now, it is a venture battle your picks, up front. Jay? 
Yeah, wow. We're um, running out of time. we got to watch the time, Jay, okay? <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow. I'll go with Michael Self. Uh, I think there's several that are going to be contending, but I'll go with Michael Self. And what about the West? Oh, on the West, uh, I'm going to have to go with Trevor Huddleston. Okay, I think that's a good pick. Since you picked Trevor, I'm going to pick Blaine Perkins. Uh, I think uh, he's definitely a guy to watch. But I'm not going to discount Jesse Love. I think he's another one that is very capable of uh, maybe winning this race. In the West, you took Michael Self. I mean, in the East, uh, the Pocono race, you took Michael Self. Gosh, who am I going to take now? I'll take, uh, well, is Christian Eckes in this race? Okay, we're already at no, 8 o'clock. No, because that's Drew Dollar's team. Yeah, that's Drew Dollar. I'll say Drew Dollar's going to do it again. I was impressed with his uh, confidence uh, when we talked to him on Monday. So if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to the uh, podcast of Monday Night Show because uh, we had Drew Dollar on and uh, he does have a lot of confidence in himself as well as his team. He, he feels really good about his crew chief and, and the Venturini organization. Uh, it's now time, Jay, for us to move on to the uh, Gander Outdoor Truck Series. I want to do that before we run out of time here. The Pocono Organics 150 to benefit Farm Aid will be Saturday, June the 27th, uh, at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, coverage is on Fox Sports 1, radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They're racing 150 miles over 60 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 15, stage 2 on lap 30, and, of course, the last stage ends on the last lap. Last year's winner was Ross Chastain. All right. One thing we just got done talking about the Arca Menard Series the Arkham and Ards winners at Pocono here in the Gander RV Outdoor Truck Series. There's a handful of them currently running full-time now, and they got a win to their name at the Pocono Raceway. Sharon mentioned Riley Herbst won at Pocono in 2017, while Harrison Burton in 2018, Christian Eckes in 2019, and Zane Smith won at Pocono in the series in 2018. So these guys, I don't know if Harrison Burton's in the truck this weekend, but the other three uh, certainly ones to keep an eye on as they have that experience and wins at Pocono. Without a doubt. Now, Chase Purdy will be in the number 24 for GMS Racing. Uh, announced early in June that Chase Purdy is back in the truck, and he's going to run five races for them in the Gander Truck Series. He will make his debut this weekend at Pocono Raceway, and in addition to Pocono, Purdy is uh, planning to run at Kentucky, both Kansas races and Talladega in that number 24 Chevrolet. Purdy last competed full-time in the Arkham Menard Series in 2018, and at that point he had 10 top fives and 14 top 10 finishes. So uh, really excited to che- see Chase Purdy back in the truck. I was as well. I did see that announcement. I didn't know which races they were doing, but that's great to see him back in a vehicle. Now, Brandon Jones is also returning to the Gander trucks. He'll be back in the truck for the first time this season as he wheels the number 51 Tundra for Kyle Busch Motorsports this weekend at Pocono. 
He scored his first, I'm sorry, he scored his second career Xfinity Series win earlier this season at Phoenix and is scheduled to run four Gander Arbery and Outdoor Trucks events this year for KBM. He's looking for his first series victory. This will be his first start at Pocono. Okay. Uh, we'll take a look at the rookies here. Uh, Christian Ecke still leads the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series Rookie of the Year standings. He has 165 points and two awards already this season. Zane Smith, though, is just right behind him at 147 points and two awards as well. Derek Krause is the only other rookie driver to win an award so far this season, and he's third with 114 points. Raphael Lassard, the driver from Canada, is in fourth place. Tanner Gray is fifth, Ty Majewski sixth, and Spencer Davis seventh with Tate Fokelman in eighth. This weekend marks Ecke's second start in the series at Pocono. His first was last season for Kyle Busch Motorsports when he started 13th and finished 4th. Now, Ecke's also won at Pocono last season, and that was in the Arkham Art Series. Now, Smith is making his Gander Truck Series debut at Pocono this weekend for GMS Racing, but he did win at the track in the Arkham Art Series in 2018. He finished in the top five in all four of his ARCA starts at that track. Kraus, Lassard, Gray, Majeski, Davis, and Fogelman are all making track series debuts this weekend at Pocono. Now your points leader, Austin Hill, is still hunting for his first win of the 2020 campaign. Again, he is currently leading the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series, with an extremely strong run to start the season, but looking for that first victory. He has two top fives and five top tens to his name in the five starts, leading 102 laps, the most of any full-time truck series driver. He is the only driver to finish every event in the top ten and holds a 44-point lead over Christian Eckes in the point standings. Now, last season, Hill started on the pole, but a clutch issue took him out of the race early and finished 30th, and he's had four starts at the Tricky Triangle with a best finish of 11th coming in 2017. Okay, now it's going to be a busy weekend ahead for Stuart Friesen. Uh, He has a really big weekend ahead of him with three races in 24 hours, including one at Pocono Raceway for the NASCAR Ganda RV and Outdoor Truck Series. Now, Friesen and Halmar Friesen Racing, his team there, as a whole, are all running the races in order to raise awareness and donations for the local food banks during these trying times. Friesen will start the weekend at Albany, Saratoga Speedway on Friday, and then Pocono Raceway on Saturday, followed by another race at Orange County Fair Speedway. So Hallmar's Chris Larson announced that Hallmar International will match the amount of Friesen's dirt race winnings on Friday at Albany, Saratoga, and Saturday at Orange County Fair Speedway. The money will all be donated to local food banks and are in addition to the separate potential donation for the number 52 truck at Pocono on Saturday afternoon. Now, there will be a 5,000 donation for a top 10 finish and a 10,000 donation for a win. 
This is for at Pocono. Now, Friesen's top 10 finish at Atlanta Motor Speedway sent 5000 to Atlanta Community Food Banks. The team is taking donations, and with each donation of $100 or more, Halmar will match your donation and send you a Halmar Racing to Beat Hunger t-shirt. So if you'd like to donate and help support um, these guys, you can go to www.howmarracingtobeathunger.com. That's all one word. And uh, I'm, I really applaud these guys uh, for making that effort and, and uh, donating to those food banks. It's a well-deserved cause. I know you brought that up on Hot Topics on Monday night, and when we get done here, I'm going to have to take a peek at my checkbook maybe. <laughs> <laughs> But now, following the uh, Homestead-Miami race, we're going to put an eye on the playoff outlook. Uh, Again, I know we're a little early here in the truck series, but, again, it's never too early to start looking at the points. We're talking about Grant Enfinger. uh, Has two wins, the only regular series driver to have victories so far. Two wins, obviously going to be locked in. Then we got mentioned Austin Hill. He's leading the points at 209. Christian Eckes is... uh, Third, 165, 33 points above the cut line. Ben Rhodes, 29 above. Todd Gilliland and Zane Smith, they're 16 and 15 points above, respectively. And already in the top six, we got two rookies. That is so impressive. I like to see that. Then, seventh, eight points above is Johnny Sauter. Eighth is Brett Moffitt, five points up. Ninth is Sheldon Creed at three points up. And this is where it gets interesting. Tyler Ingram in that 10th and final spot has one point above two drivers. Derek Krause, another rookie, is in 11th, but has, is tied, has the edge over Matt Crafton. Then you got rookie Raphael Lassard is 19 back, Stuart Friesen, 21 back, and another rookie in Tanner Gray at 22 back. With five races in the books, again, that's the playoff picture so far. With end fingers wins, obviously he goes to the top of the board and the only driver locked in, but that still leaves those nine spots. I uh, pretty much covered this. I didn't see all the uh, reading there, but highlight okay. some of that. Talking about Christian Eckes, uh, 30 pro- 33 points ahead of the playoff, and he gained four spots in South Beach and took that series Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings lead. Zane Smith is second in that rookie challenge, as you talked about, but still as well battling for a playoff spot. Then you break down the uh, playoff bubble. I mentioned Tyler Ankrum and that battle between two other drivers that are right there, only one part of point or one point behind. Okay. Okay, so it looks like it's uh, pretty close, and uh, we're going to have fun watching it, I guess, as uh, the season progresses. All right, uh, next up, it's time for the trucks to get tricky at the Tricky Triangle. (laughs) Uh, Now, uh, this is the Pocono 150 to benefit Farm Aid this Saturday, and the series was last uh, was off just last weekend as the other two national series took to Talladega Super Speedway, but this weekend will mark the sixth of the season for the Gander Truck Series. Grant Infinger 
Okay, Grant Dinfinger is the only full-time Ganders Truck Series driver to have won a race so far with Cup Series regulars Kyle Busch and Chase Elliott. This means that there's only one 2020 playoff position currently taken based on wins. Now, Kurt Busch is the only driver to have won twice at Pocono. He won in 2015 and 18. Ross Chastain is the most recent winner in 2019. And the inaugural Gander Truck Series race at Pocono was on July 31st, 2010, when Elliott Sadler took home the victory. Four of the races were won from the pole, but none of the ten races were won uh, from a starting position outside of the top six. Chevrolet has five wins at Pocono, while Ford has one, and Toyota has four. There are no current full-time active drivers in the series with a prior win. Bush and Chastain are the only two drivers that are still running in the Gander trucks on a part-time schedule with previous Pocono wins, and Chastain is the only one scheduled to run this weekend for Nice Motorsports. There have been 10 Gander Truck Series races at Pocono, with eight different pole winners and nine different race winners. William Byron was the youngest winner at 18 years, eight months, and one day in 2016. Harvick, Kevin Harvick, was the oldest winner in 2011 at 35 years, seven months, and 20 days. Now, Chastain holds the race record at 124.224 miles per hour in 2019. Austin Hill holds the qualifying record from last season's race at 171.347 miles per hour. Norm Benning, Matt Crafton, Johnny Sauter have the most starts in the series at Pocono with 10. And last season's race had the fewest leaders with only two and had the most laps led by a race winner with 54. Bush has the most wins for a truck owner, two, and that is a number of four. So uh, we do have some post-race, I'm sorry, I should say pre-race audio from Todd Gilliland, and I'd like to play a little bit of that. Let me see how long it is. It's a matter of seven minutes. That would take us right to the wire, so we probably won't listen to the whole thing, uh, but we will listen to a little bit and maybe comment afterward. Okay, Jay? All right. Okay. Todd Gilliland driving the number 38 for Front Row Motorsports in a Ford. Good deal. Well, we are now joined by Ty Gilliland, driver of the number 38 Crosley Brands Ford for DGR Crosley Racing in the NASCAR Gander RVE and Outdoors Truck Series. We're heading to Pocono Raceway this week in the Tricky Triangle. Ty, what is so challenging about that racetrack from your perspective? I think, um, you know, besides the obvious, it was just three very different turns. Um, you know, the draft plays a big part. Getting off turn three is huge. Um, that straightaway is a lot longer than it feels. Um, you know, in the truck, it goes by pretty fast, but you still get huge runs. Um, that's the best way to pass. So I think uh, you got to focus on the exits a lot, um, just with it being um, a little bit different. Every mile and a half, the exits are important. But uh, I think Pocono in general, that's uh, probably the most challenging part about it. Okay, we're going to open up the floor for questions. Again, if you have a question, click the participants icon and raise your hand, and we'll try to call on you. We're going to start with Casey Campbell. Go ahead with your question, Casey. Thanks, Matt. Hi, Todd. How are you? Good. How are you? Good, man. Um, first off, you know, how 
overall, just getting your sense on how it's been going with, um, you know, with Front Row and, of course, um, and DGR. Just well, overall, how do you think it's been going with this new team? I think it's uh, overall been going really well. Um, you know, we got a great team put together, which I knew from day one, but um, I was a little bit worried. We had, uh, you know, a tough race at Daytona, qualified in the back, but we actually ran up front, so um, we're actually kind of happy with how the race went. Um, besides getting in the, the wreck at the very end. But um, Vegas also, we struggled in practice, but we also ran pretty decent during the race. So um, our actual races we've been putting together are, are really good, I feel like. Um, you know, they're obviously still a little bit more speed here and there, but I feel like Atlanta was our best race this year, and uh, we ran in the top five all day. And those are the type of runs you should have to have, um, you know, with Kyle and Chase both running that race. So I feel like once uh, – once the truck guys start getting in the swing of things where it's just us, I think we'll be uh, be right where we need to be if we can find a little bit more speed and um, just continue to put together solid races. All right. Thanks, Todd. Our next question will come from Daryl Kinsey. Go ahead with your question, Daryl. You're on mute, Daryl. Sorry about that. Todd, the truck series had the longest layoff from February to May. Now that we're starting to get into a regular race schedule for you guys again, does it feel like you're finally getting into the flow of the season? For sure, because um, it was supposed to be really busy. We were literally at Atlanta at the gate to get in the racetrack, and we are supposed to go three weeks in a row from there. So my truck guys were all ready. They had three really nice trucks put together, and really probably five with the backs of backups that we had to have. So, um that was tough, though, for sure. Just the buildup of being at the racetrack and then, um, you know, going away. And then even, like you said, having to watch these guys come back before us and have two to four races before us is, uh, was really tough. But I'm just super glad that NASCAR's back in general, man. The first uh, cup race at Darlington, I was definitely watching with uh, with excitement. Like, it was Daytona again, just being able to, to watch it. So um, it's definitely really, really nice and, um, you know, great for me that we're back and, um, but it was definitely a long break. Our guys, um, you know, were working as much as they could, but also everyone was trying to be really safe at the same time. So I think we're still really prepared to uh, to see whatever the schedule takes us from here. Okay. Any thoughts on uh, Todd Gilliland's comments? Uh, I thought he gave us a really good uh, preview of the track itself at Pocono. He does, and I like the fact that that he mentioned that he's even watching the cup races. I know I go back to I think about Denny Hamlin coming in, and he had done his via I racing in that aspect. But again, to even be watching cup races, even for truck or truck racing or ARCA racing, uh, any track knowledge you can learn, and and again, why not learn from the best? So it it kind of surprised me, but I like the fact that they are even looking that far up. Um, to see what what they need at that track. Obviously, trucks are going to handle a little bit different, but uh, different lines and, and driving styles to that track. Absolutely, uh, and and uh, you know it is good that he is taking time to watch those Cup races because um, uh, I know he wants to move up in the in the uh, in the. Um, you know, from trucks into Xfinity and eventually Cup. So uh, watching those guys race, I think, is a good move on his part and and uh, will help him in the long run. 
most definitely. Again, you learn from the best. And I think we have seen a little bit of a change in Todd Gillen as a driver. I think this is an opportunity for him really to display where he's at. We know what happened with Kyle Busch Motorsports. It didn't pan out, but I don't think that that necessarily means he is not a good driver. That situation just didn't work out. Seeing where he's at with a newly formed team uh, could lead to better, different, different and better things uh, down the road. Yeah, I, I hope you're right, Jay. All right, uh, it's uh, time for us. I'm going to go ahead and move on to the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Uh, their next race is the Pocono Green 225, recycled by J.P. Mascaro and Sons. That race will take place at Pocono on Sunday, June the 28th uh, at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Televised will be uh, on Fox Sports 1, and radio coverage will be on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They will race a distance of 225 miles over 90 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 20, stage 2 on lap 40, and the last stage, of course, on the last lap. Last year's winner was one of the big three, Cole Custer. All right, well, we'll start with something that Sharon uh, talked about on Monday night as we wrapped up in Hot Topics as a note, and that's Ryan Vargas back in the Xfinity Series. Him and JD Motorsports announced that Vargas will be back behind the wheel in the Xfinity Series for JD Motorsports this weekend. He's competed in three races last season for the team at Iowa Speedway, Road America Sports Car Course, and Phoenix Raceway. He hasn't run a race so far this season, but has been helping out with the team. On race weekend, Vargas would help as a crew member working on the car and helping during pit, spot, pit stops for the team. He also competed for JD Motorsports in the eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series during the COVID-19 pause in sports. Now, though, this weekend, the 19-year-old will make his first start of 2020 at the Tricky Triangle. In three, the three starts I mentioned last season with the team, he had an average finish of 20.3 and a best finish of 17th at Iowa in July. Although this is the largest track he's run on, the, I'm sorry, the, the largest track he had run on was the one-mile oval at Phoenix Raceway, he is ready to get started and get a good finish for the team. Vargas will pilot the number 15 Chevrolet with Crano, Cranio Care Bears, a nonprofit organization whose goal is to spread awareness and support to families and children that struggle with craniocentosis as his primary sponsor as its organization which is close to his heart. And I mentioned I did the interview with him, and I struggled with those two terms back then, and I still do now. <laughs> well, uh, you'll get better. I'm, I have confidence in you, Jay. <laughs> All right. Closer and closer for Cindric. Austin Cindric is still on the hunt for his first victory in this season. And Pocono Raceway suits him very well, so that spells trouble for his competitors. The driver, the number 22, Team Penske Ford, has six top fives. He has eight top tens so far this season, and he has an average start of 7.6 with an average finish of 10.3. He's also led 238 laps this season. He's sitting in third in the series point standings, the highest-ranked driver without a win, and he has run up front, leading the third most percentage of laps, which is 12.2%. Since 
sitting behind a pair of junior motorsports teammates, Noah Gregson and Justin Algauer. Now, this weekend's Pocono 225, recycled by J.P. Mascaro and Sons on Sunday, uh, is his track debut. Cindric finished fourth in Pocono in 2018, and last season uh, he finished seventh in both of those races. He started from third, so I'm trying to figure out how that makes it his track debut. <laughs> in his track debut, he finished fourth. Okay, I got it. Cindric uh, has the third best average running position at Pocono behind Cup Series drivers Brad Keselowski and Kyle Busch. Cindric also has the third best driver rating behind Keselowski and Busch at 105.6. He's also sitting right behind him in third uh, for the fastest laps run as well. So Austin Cindric's uh, certainly one of those guys to watch this weekend. He most certainly will be, and I'll touch upon that here when I go over the NASCAR Xfinity Series playoff outlook following Talladega. And as you mentioned, Sarah, there, I'm going to get better and learn. I'm going to go through the reading first, and then I'll recap with the uh, chart we got here to look at. Oh, okay. So, uh, Justin Haley's win last weekend at Talladega Super Speedway made him the fifth different driver to lock into the playoffs with a race win. He joins Chase Briscoe, Noah Gregson, Harrison Burton, and Brandon Jones. Sharon just talked about Austin Sindrick, the highest-ranked driver in the playoff standings without a win, but his eight top tens and six top five finishes make it seem that a win isn't far off for driver the number 22, Team Penske Ford. Now, Myatt Snyder is the first driver below the playoff cutoff line, currently with 214 points, 36 markers back from Brandon Brown in that final playoff spot of 12th. Overall, Junior Motorsports' Noah Gregson leads the Xfinity Series standings with 469 points. Now we'll go up and look at that chart. Like I mentioned, Chase Briscoe does have three wins, 17 playoffs, Noah Gregston, although has more points, is down a win. Uh, so as they rank by wins and reset, he's got 15 playoffs points. And then you got Harrison Burton with two wins and 10 playoff points. Fourth would be Brandon Jones with one win, seven playoff points. Justin Haley, mentioned, got his first win there, six playoff points. Then you got Austin Sindrick, who is that highest without the win so far, also has two playoff points. And he's at 212 in sixth spot. Seventh at 208 is Ross Chastain. Eighth is Justin Algar. I'm sorry, this is what they're above the cutoff line. Let me back that up. Uh, Sindrick is at 426. Chastain, 422. Algar, 337, but does have four playoff wins. Is 123 above that cut line. Ninth is Michael Annette at 296, 82 above the cut line. Ryan Sieg at 273, 59 up. Riley Herbst in 11th at 257, is 43 up. And then we mentioned Brandon Brown is the cut line right now, 250 points, 36 points to the good. And the other two that didn't get mentioned there yet behind Myatt Schneider is Josh Williams and Alex LeBay. And we've seen them have really good starts to their season. But again, cream rises to the top. They got some tough competition ahead of them. Okay, now I just want to make sure that I clarify. Justin Algauer has four stage wins, not playoff wins. Oh, okay. I'm sorry, I was looking at the – you are right. I was reading off of that. 
Okay, that's okay. I just wanted to clarify for everybody. They might think he's got four wins already this season. Okay, now the Dash for Cash finale is uh, coming up at Pocono Raceway, and this time the schedule is a little bit different compared to past years, and that's because of the revised 2020 schedule because of the pandemic. Now the program does wrap up this weekend at Pocono Raceway on Sunday, uh, and it kicked off at Atlanta Motor Speedway when Noah Gregson won the season's first installment. The second race at Homestead Miami Speedway, uh, doubleheader, uh, was the second installment, and A.J. Allmendinger grabbed that $100,000 bonus. Now, last weekend at Talladega Super Speedway, it was Allmendinger's teammate, Ross Chastain, who took home the money. Pocono Raceway marks the finale for this year's Dash for Cash program, and Justin Haley, uh, Ross Chastain, Alex LeBay, and Austin Sindrick are the four drivers competing for that $100,000 bonus. Now, although Jeff Burton finished Talladega in a position that would qualify him to contend for the bonus at Pocono, he's not racing this weekend's race, so therefore LeBay rose into contention as the next highest finishing Xfinity Series points racer who is also entered at Pocono. Now, Xfinity is making a donation in each Dash for Cash race market to reaffirm their company-wide commitment of connecting families, veterans, and seniors to the digital tools necessary for navigating these challenging times. At Pocono, Donations will go to the Boys and Girls Clubs of Northeastern Pennsylvania. Uh, Boys and Girls Clubs gives young people in need the developmental tools to achieve great futures as productive, responsible citizens in the community. This donation will help ensure these academic and character-building programs continue throughout the crisis so young people will have the tools they need to live healthy lifestyles and contribute to their community. Now, a brief summary on the Dash for Cash. We kind of already went through that. Uh, And uh, let's go over the qualifiers for this week's Dash for Cash. Justin Haley, driving the number 11 for Colleg Racing in a Chevrolet, is making his second career Xfinity Series start at Pocono this weekend. Last season was his track debut and when he finished ninth. Haley has two starts at the track in the Gander Trucks and finished fifth in 2018 and tenth in 2017. Ross Chastain driving the Chevrolet, number 10 for Colleg Racing. Uh, Chastain has a lot of experience at Pocono among all three series. He has four starts in the Xfinity Series at Pocono and a best finish of 11th in 2018. The Gander Trucks, In the Gander Trucks, Chastain finished 10th in his first start at Pocono. He finished 5th in his second start, and last season he won the race. Austin Sindrick, uh, driving a Ford and for the number 22 team Penske, is making his third start at Pocono this weekend. His first was in 2018 when he finished 4th, and last season he finished 7th. He's made one start in the Gander Trucks at the track in 2017 when he also finished seventh. Alex LeBay is driving a Chevrolet, the number 90, for uh, uh, DGM Racing. 
LeBay has made just one start at Pocono Raceway in the Xfinity Series. He finished 18th in 2018. So a lot to look forward to. This is the finale uh, for the Dash for Cash, and one of those four drivers will be walking away with $100,000. That is such a great program in, in the Xfinity uh, what they've upped it to in helping out the uh, local communities. I really like that. So kudos to them as they put up that dash for cash money as well as sponsor this uh, series for NASCAR. Now they are heading into North Pocono Raceway for the Pocono Green 225 recycled by JP and Mascaro and Sons for a double header, not within their own series, but Xfinity and then Cup. So going to be an interesting afternoon. They're coming off that exciting Talladega weekend. The series now hit the 225 miles of the Tricky Triangle. Talked about last weekend's win by Colleg Racing's Justin Haley in the number 11 Chevrolet with teammate Ross Chastain in that number 10, picking up this weekend's Dash for Cash installment. Talk about that a little bit here coming up in Hot Topics in about 30 minutes. Now, the win marked the second of the season for Colleg Racing Camp and automatically punches Haley's ticket into the 2020 playoffs. Haley's seventh top 10 finish of the year, first career victory in 47 Xfinity Series races. He led five times for 16 laps and started on the pole. The race saw 12 different leaders and 22 different lead changes. As mentioned, Chastain finished second, Jeb Burton third for Junior Motorsports, not running this weekend though, Austin Sindrick fourth for Team Penske, and Brett Moffitt finishing fifth for our motorsports. When we look at Pocono, they've hosted only four NASCAR Xfinity Series races, the inaugural being in 2016, won by Carl Larson for Chip Ganassi Racing. Eric Jones was the first pole winner for the series at Pocono. The four races have produced four different race winners with three different pole winners. Mentioned Cole Custer won two of the four pole awards as the only driver to have won the race from the pole, which he did in 2019. In 2019, there were six different leaders, the most of the four races run, and it also had the most cautions at seven. That race also held the closest margin of victory at .226 seconds. A Ford has two wins on the track, Chevrolet and Toyota won each, each has been won by a different car owner as well. The Pocono Raceway is oh. a 2.5 mile. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You paused, so I thought you were okay. done. <laughs> okay. Now, as a recap here, at Pocono is a 2.5 mile track, 14 degree banking in turn one, eight degree banking in turn two, and six degrees turn three. While the front stretch is 3,740 feet, the back stretch 3,000. 55 feet, and then a short stretch at 1,780 feet. That's why it's known as the Tricky Triangle. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Uh, Once again, we do have some uh, pre-race audio. Uh, This time it's from Austin Sindrick, uh, the number 22 Team Penske Ford. Uh, We won't be able to listen to the whole thing again, uh, but uh, maybe we can hear a few opening comments here from Austin Sindrick about racing at Pocono Raceway this weekend. Good afternoon, everybody, and uh, we will be joined here shortly by Austin Sindrick. But just as a reminder, if you do have a question for Austin, click on that participants icon 
down below and then uh, hit raise hand so we know you have a question. We'll be happy to call on you. Looks like Austin is here, so we'll get him all set up and squared away. There we go. We are now joined by Austin Cedric, driver of the number 22 Moneyline Ford for Team Penske in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Not only are you going to Pocono Raceway this weekend to try to get a win at the Tricky Triangle, but you're one of four drivers vying for the $100,000 in the NASCAR Xfinity Dash or Dash program. How exciting is that to know that $100,000 may be waiting for you at the finish line? Oh, you're on, you're on mute, my friend. There you go. Um, no, I, I think being able to run for Dash for Cash is awesome. Um, you know, my last two years in the Xfinity Series, I've been able to qualify for it, but I've qualified for it at Talladega. So this is the first time I feel like I've got somewhat of a control of my destiny as far as uh, being able to be there at the end of the race for it. But um, overall, obviously, great positioning for us. We've had a lot of a lot of great runs the last couple of weeks, so hopefully uh, being able to carry that momentum into Pocono with Dash for Cash is, is Good deal. We're going to open up the floor for questions. As a reminder, if you have a question, please raise your hand in the participants queue. We're going to start with Bob Pockers of Fox Sports. Go ahead with your question, Bob. Yeah, Austin, uh, next week, Indianapolis road course. Is the pressure on you to win the uh, that race, I would say maybe only the only other race might be the championship race, right? I mean, like, what's it, how much pressure is there or how much – of, uh, you know, emphasis do you feel driving for Roger Penske first race on that road course to win it? I think it's an awesome opportunity for us and, and for the series. Obviously, it's a big weekend, not just for our team, but, you know, racing a doubleheader day with IndyCar there. You got the Brickyard 400, 4th July weekend. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, but, yeah, for me, obviously, there's, there's an expectation to run well on those types of tracks. Um, but my job is the same – that weekend as it is every weekend. So for, for me, I, I, I try not to put too much pressure on myself. Obviously, Indianapolis means a lot to me personally, a lot to my family personally. So um, going to that place and being a driver instead of a spectator, I feel like is always weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And obviously I, I wouldn't want anything more than to be able to bring that, that first race win home uh, for, for Roger and now, now at his racetrack. And Okay. Uh, your thoughts about Austin Sindrick's comment? Well, the first thing I, that I noticed in the, in the uh, when you queued it up is even the top professionals have uh, issues with that mute <laughs> button, so we're not alone there, right? Yeah. Um, right, right. Now, reference there, reference there uh, his answer. I thought it was a really good answer, and I, I don't know if he kind of felt like maybe he hadn't thought about the pressure of winning there for Penske <laughs> or not, but Bob Parker's kind of put it on him. Um, but he handled it well, and, and I think that's what drivers need to do. You know, their goal every week is to run the best they can going after that win. Uh, so I, I do see where Bob Pockers' question was coming from there of being the Team Penske, Penske now owning that, owning that facility, mm-hmm. um, that there might be a little bit higher expectation. But also we've seen that Austin Sindrick, and I don't want to label him as a road course racer only, but does excel at those tracks. So I think that – just as much the fact that that puts that pressure on him, if you will, of he knows that's one of the road courses that he does excel at. But we've seen him, he does so well at handling all of that pressure 
Um, so I think he's going to be fine. And I like what he said. You know, I'm out there to do my job as a driver the same each and every week. Okay. I'm going to go ahead and move on to the NASCAR Cup Series here, Jay, because we've got two races that we're covering uh, for the Cup Series at Pocono. The first race, the Pocono Organics, 325 in partnership with Rodale Institute, takes place Saturday, June the 27th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, televised on Fox and uh, radio coverage on MRN Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They're racing a distance of 325 miles over 130 laps. The first stage ends on lap 25, the second stage on lap 77, and the last stage on the last lap, lap 130. Last year's winner was Kyle Busch. Now, uh, looking at race two, the Pocono 350 will take place on Sunday, June the 28th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and will be televised on Fox Sports 1 starting at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. Now, MRN and Sirius XM has radio coverage. The distance is 350 miles over 140 laps. Stage 1 ends on lap 30, stage 2 on lap 85, and the last stage on the last lap, lap 140. Last year's winner was Denny Hamlin. So uh, we'll get into now, and there's a lot here to cover, uh, the cup race at Pocono. Races. All right. Well, we'll start with Reddick as he bounces his way into contention on that playoff bubble. With Ryan Blaney's name added to the wins list, eight drivers now have victories in this NASCAR Cup Series this year, leaving just eight spots up for grab to make uh, the playoffs on points. Taking a look at the playoff bubble following Talladega Super Speedway, drivers continue to shuffle the positions as the competitors from 13th to 21st in the sand are separated by just 70 points. One of the most pivotal moves in the standings this past weekend was Richard Childress Racing's driver Tyler Reddick's hurdle of Joe Gibbs Racing's Eric Jones to take over that 16th and final playoff spot in the points. Reddick not only sits in the final postseason transfer spot, but also leads the Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings as well. This season, Reddick has put up one top five and three top tens. He's making his series track debut at Pocono this weekend. But he's the Californian is no stranger to the tricky triangle. He made two starts in the Xfinity Series, posting a runner-up finish last season and an average finish of 5.5. All right. Now we'll take a look at uh, previous winners. There are six former Pocono winners that do not yet have a win in 2020. Those drivers include Kyle Busch, Kurt Busch, Jimmy Johnson, Chris Buescher, Matt Kenseth, Ryan Newman, all have previous wins at Pocono in the NASCAR Cup Series, but they're still looking for that first win of 2020. There's some surprising names on that list. All six want to snap that winless streak uh, that has grown to more than 10 races. Now, Chris Buescher's last win uh, was Monday, August 1st of 2016. So he's it's uh, 136 races uh, since then that he's had a win. 
Uh, Ryan Newman, uh, last one at Phoenix in Sunday, March 19th of 2017. So races since, uh, it's 117. Attempts since, 144. Jimmy Johnson, last one at Dover on Sunday, June the 4th of 2017. Uh, races since, 108. Same for attempts. Matt Kenseth, last one at Phoenix on Sunday, November the 12th of 2017. He's had 86 races since, but only 25 attempts since. Uh, Kurt Busch won at Kentucky on Saturday, July the 13th of 2019. It's been 30 races since and the same number of attempts. Kyle Busch, last one at Homestead on Sunday, November the 17th of 2019, and has had 13 races and attempts since his last victory. Now, Roush Fenway's Chris Buescher's win came in a weather-shortened 2016 Pocono race. That was 136 events ago. He returns to the tricky triangle, hoping to snap that winless streak and rekindle some of his early success at the 2.5-mile speedway. Busher is right now 19th in the driver point standings. He's 40 points behind Tyler Reddick in that 16th place cutoff spot. Uh, after posting one top five and three top tens, Busher has made eight starts at Pocono, posting a win again in 2016, but his average finish there is 19.8. Now, Busher's uh, RFR teammate, Ryan Newman, is also looking to snap the second longest winless streak of his career in the Cup Series. The Indiana native's winless streak has reached 117 races since he last visited Victory Lane back in 2017. Newman is 25th in points heading into this weekend. He's made 36 starts at Pocono, posting two poles, one win that was in 2003, and nine top fives along with 15 top tens. Probably the hardest-to-believe winless streak in the series belongs to seven-time NASCAR Cup Series champion Jimmy Johnson. He's won 83 times in his career, but right now he's riding on a winless streak that dates back to Dover of 2017, 108 races ago. Right now he's 11th in the series point standings, 137 points back from Kevin Harvick in the lead. Now Johnson has made 26 starts, I'm sorry, 36 starts at Pocono, posting three poles, three wins. He did a 2004 sweep, and he also won in 2013. He has 11 top fives and 20 top tens. Chip Ganassi Racing's Matt Kenseth came out of retirement to drive the number 42 Chevrolet this season, and Kenseth last won in the NASCAR Cup Series 86 races ago on the calendar at Phoenix Raceway in 2017. However, Kenseth has only participated in 25 races since that last win, so he has made 38 starts at Pocono, posting one win in 2015, along with four top fives and 15 top tens. And last but not least are the Bush brothers. Kurt Busch won uh, last win, came at Kentucky Speedway just last season, 30 races ago. His brother Kyle concluded the 2019 season with a win at Homestead Miami Speedway and the championship, and that was 13 races ago. But now both Bush brothers 
head to Pocono looking for their first win for 2020. Kurtz made 37 starts at Pocono, posting two poles, three wins in 2005, 7, and 16. He also has 14 top fives, 20 top tens, and Kyle has made 30 starts at Pocono, posting four poles, three victories in 17, 18, and 19, eight top fives, and 15 top tens. So will one of those drivers make a breakthrough and uh, break their winless streak? Well, we'll look at, take a look at the lucky number six, and that might give some insight to that. Toyota has won the last five straight at Pocono. And with winning, Toyota drivers winning the last five consecutive races at Pocono Raceway in the Cup Series, if they were to win this weekend, they could tie or surpass Chevrolet for the series' most consecutive manufacturer wins at Pocono with six victories, which was from August 2012 to June of 2015. Interestingly enough, both streaks have a common denominator. Toyota's win streak consists of four victories from Joe Gibbs Racing and one from Furniture Row Racing. Chevrolet's win streak is built on five consecutive wins by Hendrick Motorsports, and the sixth was added by Furniture Row Racing. Both FRR wins were with driver Martin Truex Jr. They changed from Chevy to Toyota. Now, eight different manufacturers have won in the NASCAR Cup Series at Pocono, led by Chevrolet with 32, Ford with 23, Toyota at 9, Dodge has 7, Pontiac 6, Buick 4, Mercury 2, and Oldsmobile 1. Okay, speaking of Joe Gibbs Racing, uh, they have won the last three consecutive Pocono Cup races. In five of the last nine NASCAR Cup Series races at Pocono, one team has been literally unstoppable. That's Joe Gibbs Racing. Starting with Matt Kenseth's win on August the 2nd of 2015, Joe Gibbs Racing has won five of the last nine NASCAR Cup Series races at Pocono Raceway, including the last three consecutive. Kyle Busch won in July of 17 and his back-to-back victories July 18 and June 19. Denny Hamlin's victory came just last July. Now as the series returns for the special doubleheader weekend at Pocono, two JGR drivers, Kyle Busch and Eric Jones, are still looking for their first wins this year. Bush, the defending winner of last season's June Pocono race, right now is ninth in the series point standings, the highest-ranked driver in the standings without a win this year. But Pocono has been particularly good to Bush as of late. In his last seven series starts at the track, he's put up three wins and seven consecutive top ten finishes. Now, Bush's teammate, Eric Jones, hasn't won at Pocono Raceway yet, but he does have, he has put up some impressive performances in his six career starts. He has four top fives and the series' leading average finish of 8.3. Jones will now need to claw his way back into the postseason contention as he's dropped to 17th in the series point standings after Talladega. That's the first that's outside the playoff cutoff. He just needs he's just one point behind Tyler Reddick, who sits in 16th. Plus, let's not forget five-time Pocono winner Denny Hamlin has a 2006 sweep. He also won in July of 2009, 
and June of 2010, along with last July of 2019. And he's a two-time winner, Martin Truex Jr., who won in June of 15 and June of 18, will be in the mix this weekend as well. Now, Hamlin leads the series and wins this season. He has three victories at Daytona, Darlington, and Hobstead, and will be looking to pad his series leading 18 playoff points this weekend. His teammate Truex also has a victory this season. He won at Martinsville, and he will look to be getting his first Pocono checkered flag for Joe Gibbs Racing. The New Jersey natives' previous two series wins at Pocono were with Furniture Row Racing, and he actually is just one of 11 drivers to accomplish the feat in multiple manufacturers, including Chevrolet and Toyota. He joins Kurt Busch, who won in Ford, Dodge, and Chevrolet, Bill Elliott's won in a Buick and a Ford, Daryl Waltrip in Buick and Chevrolet, Denny Hamlin in Chevrolet and Toyota, Jeffrey Bodine won in a Chevrolet and a Ford, Harry Gantz, Chevrolet and Oldsmobile, Casey Kane won in a Dodge and a Chevrolet, Rusty Wallace in a Ford and a Pontiac, Terry Labonte in a Ford and a Chevrolet, and Tim Richmond won in a Pontiac and a Chevrolet. So uh, that's interesting uh, with the different manufacturers there. It certainly is, and right now we're going to take a look at a team that's winning top to bottom, and that's Team Penske. Just like that, Team Penske wins their fifth race of the season to retake the series-leading victories for 2020 following Ryan Newman's valiant effort to hold off several hard-charging competitors to win another photo finish at Talladega Super Speedway. is Blaney's fourth career victory and the second consecutive at Talladega. He is now the eighth different driver to win consecutive races at Talladega in the Cup Series, joining Pete Hamilton, who swept in 1970, Buddy Baker did the 75 sweep in 76, Darrell Waltrip, the 1982 sweep, uh, Dale Earnhardt did it in 1990, 1993 into 94, the 99 sweep, Sterling Marlin did it in 95 into 96, Dale Earnhardt Jr., 2001 into 2003, and Jeff Gordon, who did the 2007 sweep. Now, with all three of Team Penske's drivers having wins this season, they now have guaranteed spots in the playoffs. Joey Logano has the two wins from Las Vegas and Phoenix. Brad Keselowski, two as well, Bristol and Charlotte, and Ryan Blaney with the Talladega, is making up and making this doubleheader weekend at Pocono a great opportunity to pad their stats, as all three have previously won on the 2.5-mile raceway. Heading into this weekend, Joey Logano is second in the driver's standings, 23 points behind Kevin Harvick in the lead. Logano has made 22 starts at Pocono, posting one win, which came in 2012, four top fives, and eight top tens. In the two Pocono races last season, he finished 7th in June and 13th in July. With his win this last week, Brian Blaney hopped two spots in the standings to third now, just two points behind teammate Logano in second, 25 back from the series lead. Blaney has made eight series starts at Pocono, putting up four top tens and grabbing his first series career win back in 2017. In the two Poconos races last season, he finished 12th in June and 10th in July. Now, Brad Keselowski, he's fifth in the standings, 
following Talladega, 49 points behind Harvick, of the leader. Uh, Keselowski has made 20 starts at Pocono, posting one win in 2011, 10 top fives, 12 top tens. In the two races last season, he was runner-up in June and eighth in July. Okay, I'm going to skip a section here. I'm hoping to finish up early so we can do a fantasy update. So while the condensed schedule following the pandemic has ushered in back-to-back races at the same track over the course of several days, this weekend at Pocono Raceway actually marks the first time in NASCAR Cup Series modern era from 1972 to the present that the series will run a pair of races at one track on consecutive days. Now, first up, it will be the Pocono Organics 350 in partnership with Rodell Institute. That's on Saturday at 3.30. And then Sunday's race, the Pocono 350 at 4 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1. Uh, The first race, I don't know if I mentioned, was on Fox. Okay, now the last time the NASCAR Cup Series raced on back-to-back days was in August 27th and 28th, 1971. But the events took place at two different tracks. The first two races was at Columbia Speedway in Columbia, South Carolina on August the 27th, and the event was won by NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty. The second race was at Hickory Speedway in Hickory, North Carolina, and won by Tiny Lund. On June 25th, the starting lineups for the Pocono Organics 325 in partnership with Rodell Institute, Saturday's race, will be randomly drawn and announced on Fox Sports 1's race hub from 6 to 7 p.m. The Pocono Organics 325 will be 130 laps, 325 miles in length, uh, and the uh, Kyle Busch won that race last season, becoming the eighth different winner to post consecutive wins at the track, July of 18 and June of 19. He joins Bobby Allison, who did that in 1982, I'm sorry, 1982, with a sweep in June of 1983. Bill Elliott, 1985 sweep. Tim Richmond, 1986 sweep, and they also won June of 87. Bobby Labonte, 1999 sweep. Jimmy Johnson, 2004 sweep. Hamlin, 2006 and 2009 to 10 and Dale Earnhardt Jr. with a 2014 sweep. Then following post-race inspection of the first cup race at Pocono, the starting lineups for the Pocono 350 on Sunday will be released. The lineup will be set by inverting the top 20 finishers in the first race, and the drivers that finish 21st through 40th will start in the positions that they finished in the first event. The Pocono 350 will be 140 laps or 350 miles. The first stage, of course, we've covered that. We'll end on lap 30, the second on lap 85, and the last stage on the last lap. Hamlin won the second July Pocono race last season. It's his fifth series career Pocono victory. All right, so with that, Jay, uh, we've got a couple minutes here to cover the fantasy uh, uh, game for fan for racing. All right, and coincidentally, uh, looking across the board here, Hamlin is not on anybody's pick for either race. That's scary. Isn't that uh, give you the, Being a doubleheader, we, uh, we went ahead and we had to pick two drivers, one for each race, um, starting with 
James, and he took Martin Truex for the first race, Chase Elliott for the second one. Owen followed that up with picking Alex Bowman in the first one, Kyle Busch in the second one. Mike was third, or no, I'm sorry, Sharon went next, Joey Logano, and then uh, in the first one, Martin Truex in the second one. Uh, Being that we're a little bit under the gun, Mike got a little confused. He tried to take uh, Kyle Busch, I think, in both of them, and then tried to take Truex, but he had to settle with Kyle Busch in the first one, Brad Keselowski in the second one. And then we come to Sam. Come across, he took Kevin Harvick for both races. And Andy took Ryan Blaney for both races. Those were the only two that took the same driver both races. And then I had to go last. Uh, Hopefully this works out for me. I'm going to take Eric Jones in the first one and William Byron in the second one. Okay, we don't have all the picks for the truck series or the Xfinity series, so let's just do the points and the overall from here. All right. On the cup side, the points that we have, uh, I lead the cup series 58 to 50 over Andy. Sharon is third. Nope, Owen's third, 47. Sharon at 44. The Xfinity series, uh, Andy leads that one at 46. I'm at 35, Sharon's at 34, Sam right there at 29. The trucks, this one's a tight, tight. Again, this one's only nine points all the way. Owen leads it at 18, Andy at 17, Sharon at 15, me at 14, James at 12, and then a tie with Mike and Sam at nine. And the overall, right now, Andy's got that at 113. I'm at 107, Sharon's at 93, Owen is at 86, Sam is at 76, and Mike and James tied at 53, but that's going to be it's going to be a huge weekend, not just on the track again for with this Fanny's two points. That's 28 points possible out there. So look forward to see how Monday's shakedown goes. Exactly. All right, and it is a big weekend of racing, and uh, there are a few hot topics for us to cover on our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off, which starts now. Joining us for tonight's Hot Topics, in addition to Jay and myself, is an old friend of ours, Chris Crichton. Uh, welcome to the show, Chris. Always a pleasure. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing well. She ca- she calls okay. you old, but I think I'm older than you are, so I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> well, she's just think- mentioning that I've been around for quite a while on this old blog talk radio. Oh, I've got okay. to be five okay. years there, uh, Mr. Hoosman. Okay, yes, then I'm young. Sure. I like that. That means I'm young. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Now, I know we've got a lot of hot topics. We might might as well address one of the biggest topics of the week, and that is the situation at uh, uh, Talladega. I started to say Tallahassee. At Talladega Super Speedway. And uh, I did get some comments from Mike, and I'm going to try to uh, list, list his comments uh, I, I think all of you are aware of the situation. There was a news found in the number 43 stall. Uh, NASCAR responded by uh, contacting the FBI. They did an investigation with 15 FBI agents. They found that there was no. Um, they found that there was no ill intent, uh, and uh, that uh, no one was making any threats on 
uh, Daryl Wallace, or otherwise known as Bubba Wallace, who drives that number 43 car for Richard Petty Motorsports. Um, Since then, NASCAR has completed their investigations. Uh, They looked at 29 tracks and found only one stall. Uh, That was the 43 stall from Talladega uh, that had that noose. The rest uh, all did not have it. So they've concluded that there was no hoax, um, but they feel like uh, they still want to know why that knot was tied the way it was in the form of a noose in that stall, even though they know that it was there as of October of 2019. So um, let's uh, start with Mike's comments. He says, "My t- and I'm just going to read what he has to say here. Uh, my take is that NASCAR went all in on this anti-racism thing to the point where they implied that potentially large portions of their fan base are racist if they don't follow along in lockstep with the whole thing. Uh, fast forward uh, barely a week, and now they're in position where they're being accused of faking a hate crime uh, just to drive home their narrative. And I've seen all the picture, all the same pictures and official statements, but they're irrelevant. You can't unring that bell, and there's a lot of egg on a lot of faces. No matter how they try to spin it, now you rightly or wrongly have Bubba Wallace being equated with Jesse Smollett, and any potential goodwill or improvement NASCAR could have garnered is not only lost, but they're in an even worse position than before. So as you can see, I'm a little upset. I'm upset with NASCAR for the whole situation, and I'm embarrassed for the whole organization and the fan base. So uh, I know a lot of fans have expressed that sentiment, uh, and I know uh, – Chris, you may have some similar thoughts there. So we'll go with you, and then Jay will follow up with you, and then I'll give my comments. Well, you know, first of all, as I've said before, until we find something to agree on, we can always find something to to, to disagree on. But we need sure. we need to find something that brings us together and not pulls us apart. This was this was this was a bad image. This was uh, um, it, it alarmed people in ways that we that are, that are unnerving. Um, did we jump to conclusion? I think that most of the fan base didn't believe it happened in the first place because they didn't believe that somebody would have the audacity to do such a thing. Just as uh, I heard Doug Gottlieb to say earlier today that if his daughters were playing uh, 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 ping pong on a table that had a swastika on it. Doug Gobley is a Jewish person. I don't, I don't think that it went that far. I don't think that that's what, uh, what, what, what it should have been understood as. Um, how that got there, I don't think any of us know that. Was it there before Bubba Wallace had that pit stall? There's, there's picture proof of that. So it wasn't a militia intent, and the FBI said that there was no hate crime involved. To continue to follow the narrative that it was done purposely is saying, okay, well, certain kinds of knots need to be outlawed. If that's if that's where we're going here, that's fine. I mean, we outlawed uh, certain cartridges for guns as well. So, I mean, you know, we outlawed certain words for certain races. 
So I guess, you know, let's outlaw certain tied, tied knots. I mean, if that's what we need to do and everybody feels safer, I guess that's what we should do. I think the NASCAR went at it wrong. It would have been better if this was kept in-house. They made a publicity stunt out of it. It backfired. Uh, have you alienated half of your fan base? I believe you have, NASCAR, and I don't think that that was possibly uh, the people that you're weeding out aren't necessarily the ones that uh, were giving you any trouble before. Was there a certain group of people that maybe needed to be weeded out of NASCAR's fan base? Certainly, uh, just as you have in any other sport. There's a, there, there are people who claim to be Steelers fans, and they don't do anything but bash their team. Have we seen the way the Philadelphia Eagles act at their home stadium? Okay, there's pr- plenty of examples of, of uh, uh, fans and people that, you know, claim that they're part of a, part of a tradition, claim that they're part of a, uh, something, but, that, but clearly they're not. Did we need to focus on the, on the Confederate flag to be banned at races? I, I find that to be hard to accept considering I have, I have picture proof that in Talladega 2019, my son bought a shirt that had the uh, the American flag on it and the rebel flag right next to it. So, you know, uh, this is a 200-year war that from 200 years ago. If it was okay with NASCAR last year, was it really, you know, other than let's do something now type situation, you know, I find it just to be, you know, a, a, a sad situation right now for NASCAR and NASCAR fans in general because it seems like if you're against the agenda – then you're being considered a racist. And I have a problem with somebody calling me something that I'm not. Okay, Jay. I've been trying for for these five minutes listening to Chris to try and group my thoughts together here. I, I find it sad that people think that NASCAR did this as a publicity stunt. Given the situation that the current climate we are in with regards to racism and things that happened, unfortunately, in my home state of Minneapolis, Minnesota, somebody seeing that and finding it, they did the proper protocol in addressing it. Yes, they could have worded it differently, and and Steve Phelps has owned that in his messages since the FBI investigation. It should have been an alleged thing, not a it is. Okay, but given the certain condition of the climate of the world, you can understand that. And I think NASCAR was in a no-win situation if they don't bring it up or go about it discreetly. I don't mean to interrupt you. Let Jay have his say, and then we'll do follow-up, Chris, okay? You'll have a chance to follow up and respond. Okay, go ahead, Jay. Okay. Um, Yeah, no, I... Just like I said, I think they were in a no-win situation. If they don't do anything and then word gets out, they're going to say that there is this happening and they're covering it up like they're not part of the problem. So I I don't see them coming out of this looking good no matter what. And Steve Phelps has already said that they should have worded it differently. He has owned that. But the protocol and procedure that was done, I believe, was done properly. They said they will do again, and I, I fully hope that they do. Because something like that, if that is a possibility, does need to be addressed and does need to be investigated. If it's investigated and it's nothing, you can say, hey, okay, there was no problem. Um, I still think the way, if you look at that, I've tied a lot of knots in my life for different handles and pull-downs and other things. 
the manner it isn't tied in, that's not a coincidence. It's truly not. I just, I don't see it that way. Um, so I, right now I'm just disgusted with the way the whole thing has happened as well as what has happened elsewhere in the world to cause that. Okay. Um, from my side, I, it looks like we're kind of two for two here. I agree that NASCAR probably could have handled it a, a little bit differently. Um, but I agree with Jay in that given the current circumstances and the current environment, I think it's a logical conclusion for them to come to uh, when someone sees that in the stall. Uh, and given the you know the the recent events even within NASCAR, so I don't condemn them for that. Uh, I do think that they reacted in what they felt at the time was expeditiously, and as Jay has brought up, they did feel uh, in looking at it in retrospect. Everybody's 2020 is is a lot clearer. Uh, than when you're looking at it from the back side or when you're looking at it from the front side. Um, And he said that he wishes he would have handled it differently. I wish they would have kept it internal until they knew exactly what was going on and they would have reported what they found. Uh, But a lot of people probably would have had an issue with that, to be honest with you, because a lot of people said, if you knew that that was happening, why didn't you tell us? And it probably would have been a bigger issue if they had fans that were roaming in the garage area and fans were available. In this case, it was not that way, so I don't think it was as big of an issue. But uh, from a perspective of not reporting it, but uh, I do think that uh, uh, they were in a no-win situation. They would People would have complained if they'd not reported it until they had conclusive evidence, and people are complaining now. Uh, I think people are, um, and, and don't, I think a lot of people, I don't think it's just a few people, there are a lot of people who are jumping, also jumping to conclusions, they're kind of doing exactly the same thing that they're criticizing NASCAR for doing. And and that kind of, I think, is a double-edged sword when you start doing that. Um, I do think that NASCAR's in a really bad situation, uh, and it, it wouldn't have mattered what they did. Somebody would have found a complaint about it. Um, and and I, I think they did the best they could given the circumstances. Um, do I wish they would have done it differently? Yeah. You know, again, looking at it in hindsight, I do. But I think we've learned from the situation, and I think they will probably will handle it a little bit differently in the future. Um, as far as – I've not really wanted to get into the whole Confederate flag thing uh, because it is a political issue, and it I, I see it as a no-win situation because we're going to alienate fans – uh, with whatever our perspective is with regard to the Confederate flag. And that's not something I want to do. Um, I, I don't want to alienate fans, so I'm not going to give a statement on that. Uh, but I, I will just say that it is part of what played into what happened this weekend. And nobody's calling anybody a racist. Uh, nobody is accusing anybody of being a racist. 
I think that NASCAR is simply saying that the Confederate flag uh, is not conducive to inviting everybody to take part in the NASCAR experience. And so as a result, they are banning it. Uh, and and I, I go with, and our statement from Fan for Racing is, and always will be, that we will always stand on the side of love versus hate. Um, because, and it doesn't matter what the situation is. I don't care what the topic is. We're going to stand on the side of love versus hate. Um, and that uh, any time there's a threat made, um, and there wasn't in this case, but any time there's a threat made and it is a threat to bodily or emotional harm to another human being, uh, we are not going to stand behind that. Uh, so that's that's just where we are. I'm, I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but I, I I do feel that NASCAR is trying to make the sport open for all people. And if you're a Confederate flag lover, we still welcome you to enjoy the races. We're not calling you a racist. Uh, NASCAR is not calling you a racist. They are simply saying they want to make it available for everyone. So I, I think, again, We've got to be careful about jumping to conclusions and committing the same crime, if you will, and I use that term loosely, um, that we're upset about NASCAR doing. So those are my thoughts. It's your turn for follow-up, Chris. Chris, are you still with us? Yeah, yeah. When you go out, when you go out and you buy a pie, you 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 know it's a key lime pie or a lemon meringue pie. You can't you can't just say I'm going to buy the top of the pie and not the bottom of the pie too. This is this is a situation that has been created by the atmosphere, and unfortunately, as I began the statement with, we need to find things that are going to bring us to a common ground, not things that are going to distract us from from that. I believe the mm-hmm. the act that we've seen before the race on Monday is what a true NASCAR fan has. Those those the the solidarity, the the uh, putting a, putting a friend, a teammate mm-hmm. forward, and having everybody say we're behind you. I think that really shows where the sport is. And now, unfortunately, we've lost that topic. Now it's, well, was that intentional or was it in a malicious manner? The FBI said it wasn't in a malicious manner. If it was, it would have been, it would have been a crime here, and it's not. You know, it's unfortunate that somebody knew how to tie that tie and that it was left in that garage. And how in the world that 43 car could just happen to be in that garage stall, you know, and those are just things that will forever scratch our head. And, you know, maybe it was fate because – what we've forgotten about is what happened in the driver end, what happened when all those guys were out there near that car. That's what we should be talking about. We shouldn't be talking about all the other stuff because, as you said, it's going to offend. It's going to hurt somebody. And, and that's, you know, we, where is the common ground? The common ground was when everybody was behind Bubba Wallace and said, hey, you're a friend, you're a teammate, you're a competitor, but we stand behind you because we love you as an individual. You see? We can find things and, and 
and, and other countries, certain peoples, and we cannot like Chinese government. But do you not like a Chinese person? When I go to a Chinese restaurant, I like Chinese people. You know, but, but you know, we, we're, we're pinned against certain people for certain things. And it's not really the people, it's certain actions that, that we're against. You had, you had the most beautiful sign of, of, of solidarity uh, from the drivers as they embraced uh, Bubba Wallace. And I think that anything outside of that moment, we are damaging that image. Like, we all saw that with our eyes. And I've not, I won't name the track promoter, but I had a discussion with somebody, and I said that you know, look, if uh, somebody was to be in your at your racetrack and they always were there, and you had somebody who come in and belittled that family or that person, would you sit there and allow mm-hmm. it? Of course, you would not allow. It. And that's exactly why we've seen the solidarity that we've seen with uh, with Bubble Wallace. Unfortunately, everything that surrounds this, this is the good thing. Like, you know, a couple of bad things happen, but something really good happened. And and that's where the focus should be at. And and leave the conspiracy theories and the, the pathment of judgment to others. Leave that at bay. Just leave it alone. And let's worry about let's 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 can let's build off of what we created as those drivers were getting ready to get in those race cars. Well said. Jay? Well and, and right, Chris and unfortunately not everybody has that same thought press process to take that positive and that got overlooked by so many other negatives some of which are true and some of which aren't and they just want to run with that uh the one thing during all this that that i have found a friend of mine shared and i I posted as well you know hits and i'll pick a city of in the carolinas we support North Carolina. That doesn't mean we no longer support New Orleans who got hit with Katrina or Houston, which got hit, you know, a year or two back. It's the focus right now is on Carolina. And that's what I think you need to do is that positive of rally to the ones that need that support. And that's what NASCAR did with Bubba Wallace. And like you said, there was one positive and a couple of negatives and they want to blow the negative out of proportion rather than focusing on that positive. And that's why I said it, it actually makes me sad uh, for the world we live in right now. And it, it, it's interesting to me that instead of focusing on the, the mutual common ground that you talked about, uh, uh, Chris, instead of focusing on that love that, felt, that Bubba Wallace felt from his fellow competitors uh, to say, we stand behind you uh, and, and what they did at that track, they focused on on the other things that were negative, and and that is disappointing because uh, that was such a huge uh, thing that the, his competitors did. NASCAR has said this was not a hoax. This was not a Jesse Smollett, <laughs> and so many people are equating it to that, and it is not that. Bubba Wallace had absolutely nothing to do, absolutely nothing to do with that knot that was tied. Um, and and he was informed that it was there and that NASCAR was investigating it. Uh, did it upset him? Well, of course it upset him. <laughs> why would it not upset him? So I, I really don't understand why fans are equating it to what Jesse Smollett did. Jesse Smollett conspired with other people to create a hate crime 
and and defraud the public more or less. And that is not what no, happened in this case. And that's not what NASCAR did. NASCAR did media. not defraud the, the public media either. The media controls the narrative. The media controls well, the narrative, Monsieur. Okay. The reason uh, why this story got to be such a huge story was because the media wanted something like that to continue to try to divide. They did not have all of the information, and they weren't viewing it in the in the correct manner, because we had real they were reacting would have to what some of the some other people were saying. Go ahead. Right. No, no, no. As I said, if they had done true journalism, that story would have never made the the, the press. But they were exactly. looking for that kind of story. They were looking for two white Trump supporters in the middle of Chicago at 2 o'clock in the morning and 32 degrees below and uh, looking to fight somebody. And we all know that that probably didn't make much sense. This was this was not an act of crime. This was a knot that no. was out in a garage that... That that, that that garage is brand new. That is the new Talladega experience, right? October was the very first time that that garage stall was even used. So somebody with the Wood Brothers team, obviously, you know, I feel sorry for the guy who may have tied this rope, and he's like, wait a minute, I didn't know it was against the law to tie a rope that way, but obviously I've messed up. So while we haven't had that guy come out yet and say, hey, I'm the one that did it, uh, would we hang him on a cross? <laughs> you know, what would we do with him? What What would we do if tomorrow they found the guy who tied that knot? What would we do, Miss Sharon? Can anybody answer that? Well, the, what we should do <laughs> is we should say, I'm sure that when he tied, you've got to look at what the intent is when somebody does something. So I, you've got to look at what his intent was when he tied that knot. Do you think that he tied that knot? with an intent against the driver of the number 21 car that was in that stall during that time. Uh, I personally don't feel that there was any intent there. It may be that he just knew how to tie that knot, and he did it with no ill intent whatsoever. But unfortunately, we have a public that jumps to conclusions. We have a media that sometimes jumps to conclusions. We have NASCAR that jumps to conclusions. A lot of people make that mistake. Uh, but, again, we have to be a little more forgiving of when those mistakes happen. So um, I, I don't – excuse me? Can I ask one question? Sure. And it's probably going to make you all laugh. But So the next time you all going to get your oil changed, you're probably going to look up and notice the garage door. Am I wrong or right? <laughs> well, it's it's a part of our consciousness now. What do you say, Jay? I can I can honestly say no because, like I said, I, I think the whole thing is, is ridiculous. So, no, that isn't even, even on my mind. I, I've put it behind me and pray for the for the best. <laughs> exactly. Okay, now we're going to probably go into some overtime here because we spent uh, nearly the half hour just commenting on this one topic. Uh, <laughs> did everybody get their follow-up? Jay, did you get a follow-up? Oh, yeah. I, I, I think we probably knocked it out of the park better than I did on my own show earlier today and better than anybody's explained it on uh, uh, on, on any network television. Uh, we really brought some uh, – <laughs> 
uh, a gold moment to it right there. We, we 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 brought back what the meaning of it actually was supposed to be, and that's uh, that's yeah, something that uh, I, I hope so. And that's my takeaway. Yes. Yes. Well, so thank you for saying that, topic? Chris. Uh-huh. Okay. Sure. So, what's the next topic, Jay? Well, uh, I didn't know if you wanted to do your uh, time limit spiel oh, there first. <laughs> Let me do my time limit spiel. Uh, we are coming up to on our 10.30 half hour, uh, and that's Eastern time. And what that means is that we do go off the air, but we do continue recording the rest of the conversation that becomes part of our overtime material that is available on our podcast. Now, fans, if you've listened up to this point, all you have to do is when the podcast becomes available, and I go out on Twitter to let everybody know that that podcast is available, uh, then all you have to do is fast forward to the two-hour mark to hear the rest of that conversation. Now, Blog Talk Radio takes a, a little bit of time in order to get everything downloaded, but once that happens you'll be able to hear the rest of the conversation on the podcast. Podcast listeners will be able to listen straight through, uh, but we do like to let fans know uh, so that nobody's taken by surprise when we're cut off mid-sentence as to what's going on. We go off the air, but we do continue recording, and it is available on our podcast. So watch for my tweet uh, when that podcast does become available. Okay, Jay, we're ready for your hot topic. All right. Well, I know I threw two of them out to uh, to the crew there, uh, got some answers there, and I'll throw the topic out there so you and Chris can have at it, and then I'll respond with mine as well as theirs. The first one was NASCAR slowed the cars down, the package they had at Talladega, whether or not that provided better racing. Okay, Chris, your thoughts on that? Well, one of my headlines uh, Tuesday morning was Crazy Dega. I mean, we had a, we had what ten cars finish within a quarter of a second of each other. <laughs> uh, we, we saw fifty six lead changes. Uh, I I think all in all, you know, sometimes you got to go slow to go fast. That's the old that's the old tick in uh, dirt track racing. Sometimes you need to slow down to go fast, and uh, that's what we did this past weekend. Uh, it really put back the uh, it, it put back the the pack, and we had a lot of cars on the lead lap throughout the whole race. Um, you know, it, it provided great racing. It's been, uh, since, I guess, uh, since tandem racing that we had that many lead changes. Uh, we didn't know who was going to win until they crossed the checkered flag. There ain't no better racing than that guy. Yeah, there was some good racing throughout the race, and, and uh, it's probably better than most Talladega races. There was still some single-file racing, and I'm not a huge fan of the single-file racing uh, because I feel like there's no racing going on whatsoever. Um, uh, the drivers have gotten better with the side draft, and they use that a little bit more uh, than they were using it, and I think that's happened within the last year or so. Um I am a fan of the tandem racing, and I know I'm in the minority there. I understand that. But I felt like there was exciting racing going on all race long when we had tandem racing. And as a fan of Jeff Burton, uh, the guy that he tandem raced with a lot of times was Clint Boyer, and it was very entertaining to listen to those radio, the radio chatter there. So I... 
I miss that at these super speedway racings and uh, races, and uh, I wish we had that back. But I, I was in the minority. The majority ruled, and we went back to uh, the the old style of racing with NASCAR slowing it down. It did help, but I still say that there's work to be done. And yes, it was an exciting finish, but uh, we did have those uh, sections there where. There was the single-file racing. So that's my thoughts. Uh, That's the top line anyway, Jay. All right. Well, I'll start with Mike's uh, response here. Uh, He said he thought the threat of rain was the biggest player in the race quality. I don't think anybody really noticed the reduced uh, horsepower. And let me scroll down to Andy's. Uh, Andy wasn't able to watch the race, so he couldn't really comment on the racing itself. However, having seen driver comments that indicate the racing was closer, this, I think the slower speeds can create closer racing for sure. The faster they go, the more spread out they get, but would also agree that the intensity of weather approaching caused, was causing more aggressive racing. Um, both of those points are, are very valid. I think the threat of rain throughout the day obviously pushes the, pushes the envelope up a little bit. Um, but I do think that the the reduction in horsepower did allow the closer racing and the inability for that single car uh, line to form, as you said. And I will tell you this. I know you said you're in the minority. You do not stand alone. I actually was a fan of the tandem racing as well. Um, I know it, it almost was like it still broke it up into one car instead of one car. It was two cars. But you saw when they had to swap out where they had to get for one driver in front to get the clean air and then do that swap out, and that's what caused then other packs of two to come up. I really did. I thought it was some great racing, and and at least a change from the big pack racing, or if they decided, hey, they wanted to ride it out, getting single file, like you said, which nobody does like. So, um, But I, I just look at, even with the threat of rain and that aggressive nature to it, we didn't see, I don't feel like, as many of the big wrecks, barring the finish, which was going for the win, um, as well as at the end of the Xfinity, we didn't see as much wrecking throughout the race as we have in the past. And I don't know if that had to do with that slower horsepower package, or like you said, they, they've come to learn how to handle the cars. I know a lot of cars they talked about being loose and wobbling, but we just didn't see that out of control and wrecks that we've seen in the past. I know we had one or two, but I just thought it was a lot less that we actually saw more racing rather than survival of the fittest in a car running with three wheels at the end actually wins the race. (laughs) Okay. Chris, follow up. Well, I mean, you know, Ricky Stenhouse didn't, uh, didn't wreck the field. That's the difference. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) That's always a good day. (laughs) What? Oh man. I, I do think that they've gotten better at uh, racing on these super speedways. It's kind of like, you know, when the drivers didn't really know how to race the road courses yet and they had to bring in the ringers to race the road courses. Well, now uh, you've got a few people who are kind of a little bit better at it than than most people, but now we're getting even the new guys that are coming in we're seeing are they're doing okay on these super speedways and they they understand that draft that side draft 
The only mistake that I get really irritated at is when they touch that rear quarter panel in the corners because they know better than to do that. They know that if they touch that rear quarter panel in the corner, they're going to wreck, and they do every single time they do it. So I get a little irritated when they do that, but we didn't even see that this weekend. So, well, Jay, we did. follow up. We we did the one, and I think that was with, with Chase Elliott, but that was one of those of, oh, and unfortunately, right. just the way it was. Um, and again, depending on who's your favorite of, some people blame Joey Logano for a late late block. You know, Chase Elliott trying to steer off of being pushed, which you know is a no no. But he didn't have any choice because they had a great run, and he went to the go to the inside of Logano. Logano came up again, whether it was a late block or not. And, I mean, that happens. But, yeah, the drivers up front, and, again, especially what part of the track you're being pushed at. But even when you get that good push and good run, sometimes that happens. So, But we didn't see it as much as we have in the past. So I do see that as a good thing. Yes. All right. So let's move on to the next topic. Do you have another topic, Chris? Yeah, uh, the Kyle Larson sweepstakes, of course. <laughs> Okay, what Ooh, exactly? I'd forgotten about that. Can you clarify that? <laughs> oh, you would like for me? Oh, I mean, who's not in to, to have uh, one of the best race car drivers fill your seat next year? I know it's a bit of dominoes where who's going to land where, uh, but reports come out this week uh, that not only was Tony Stewart interested in maybe putting Kyle Larson in the seat yeah. uh, in 2021, but also uh, his good friend, A.J. Foyt, said that he would be interested in putting him in an IndyCar. The hot topic for my end tonight is, should Larson go to IndyCar racing and wash his hands in NASCAR, or should he take uh, the opportunity and maybe talk a little bit with Tony Stewart? All right, Jay, you get to go first on this one. Well, and you, and you bring something to light. I hadn't heard, I hadn't heard A.J. Foyt's uh, a statement on that. I, d- I did forgot, and I should have brought it up Monday, uh, as I didn't have a whole lot for Monday night's hot topics. But um, my hope is that he does come back to NASCAR because I do think he's a great driver, and I think he brings a lot to the sport. Again, it was he made a mistake, he accepted it, has gone through what he's supposed to. Uh, unfortunately, due to sponsorship and other things, um, getting back in is going to be a little bit tough. But as we have talked about, Stuart Haas, with Tony Stewart being one of them, that we said. A, because of his racing background and wanting to run other races is a good fit there. Tony is not afraid to shy away from a driver that causes media confrontations and whatnot. So um, I do, I was very intrigued by that. And I know Mike has brought this up with the amount that Clint Boyer is doing in the TV studio, whether or not he is accepting his position and transitioning into that role. uh, I, I would personally love to see him, come into uh, Stuart Haas racing there with Tony Stewart. Now, if he so chooses to remain on dirt where he obviously is very talented and putting up some great numbers and showing why he got the ride he did at NASCAR in the first place, that is his choice. And I will respect it. Uh, Same with if he chooses to go to IndyCar, it's not something he's done. So if that's the route he goes may not be what I want, but I will respect it and watch to see, because I think he is just that big a talent. But I do hope he comes to back to NASCAR. Okay. I would love to see him come back to NASCAR, but I don't think he has a lot of choice in the matter, unfortunately. 
Uh, I think that in Tony Stewart's statements, one of the things that he mentioned is that they haven't been able to put it together, and it's because Kyle Larson is having difficulty finding a sponsor that will pick him up so that he can come back to NASCAR. A lot of people are under the assumption that NASCAR is not allowing him to come back. That is not the case. He has gone through his um, sensitivity training. NASCAR would love to have him come back, would welcome him back, but he doesn't have a sponsor, so he doesn't have a ride. You can't get a ride without a sponsor. So I think that's the biggest hurdle that Kyle Larson has to overcome. Uh, For some reason, he's okay in the world of outlaws, and he's got a sponsor there, and that's working well for him. But for some reason, those sponsors are not carrying over into uh, NASCAR, and I don't know uh, if they'll carry over into uh, the open wheel with IndyCar. But uh, I would like to see him at at, – uh, Stuart Haas Racing, but I don't think Andy would because maybe maybe he would, but Andy's been holding that seat, that Boyer seat for that number 14 for Chase Briscoe. So then the question becomes, what happens to Chase Briscoe after his Xfinity Series year where he seems to be in contention for a championship uh, in that series? He would like to move on to the Cup Series, and a lot of people think, he should be going to uh, uh, Stuart Haas Racing in that number 14 car. Uh, for all the reasons that you brought up, it looks like Clint Boyer may be moving on to the booth next year. At least that's the speculation at this point of the game. So uh, those are my thoughts. Chris, follow Well, and, uh, yeah, definitely. Your thoughts. Um, uh, did I? Okay. I'm, I'm not on mute. Okay. So, uh, you know, Larson having issues getting sponsorship. Brad Keselowski is having issues getting sponsorship. Supposedly, that's the holdup at Penske Racing right now. Is the uh, it's uh, the lack of uh, you know a major sponsor right now. I mean, we just went through. We're going in month number four of a pandemic. Uh, there's certain companies that have yet to even make it halfway back to what they were before all this started. It's just going to be really going to be really, really tough to see a lot of advertisement money spent into, uh, you know, uh, racing right now or basically any sport. So with that being said, uh, this is where we need a furniture row racing, right? This is where we need a a, 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 a Haas racing, right? Uh, because these guys have businesses that float behind uh, what they're what, what they're doing at the racetrack. And that's why Stuart Haas racing is the perfect place for Kyle Larson to earn uh, the respect back from potential sponsors and stuff. But if I'm Kyle Larson and I'm, I've, I've done been done the way that I've been done and basically, you know, set off to the side, then why not? Why not go uh, to to a better opportunity, a newer opportunity, so to speak, and and go to uh, IndyCar? I mean. You, we've always talked about the drivers who could go from IndyCar to NASCAR, okay? Tony Stewart won the best. Mario Andretti, he won a Daytona 500. But have we ever seen successfully a driver go from NASCAR to IndyCar? Uh, I would like to see it, man. And that that's what Larson is. He's a racer. He likes the challenge. Um, you know, if NASCAR broke his heart, 
Uh, I'm sure it was. Uh, I'm sure it broke just as many people's heart in NASCAR that this situation happened. But if it's an opportunity and and there's somebody who's willing to back him up, and we all know AJ Foyt's not scared of the media. He's him and Tony Stewart are a lot alike on that behalf. AJ Foyt <laughs> would be the team to go to. Uh, as as you know, he he tries a career change. Look, uh, you know, uh, open wheel is is it you know it used to be sprint cars were a, were a gateway to the open wheel world. So uh, Larson may actually fit better in IndyCar than what he does in NASCAR. I, I would love to. See I want him to race. I want him to love what he's doing. And uh, you know, if that's a fit at Stuart Haas, beautiful. Um, if Stuart Haas decides to bring in Keselowski or somebody like that, you know, it's it's a couple of big time free agents out there. So, uh, you know, whoever can bring that funding is probably the most important. But we, you know, let's not forget how much Haas has already invested into that team. And and you know, there was another driver that had a hard time getting a sponsor at one time too. His name was Kurt Busch, and I think that the few years that they were together uh, worked out quite nicely. Unfortunately, we don't have a place like Furniture Road. Uh, we've got Bob Jenkins down there uh, running the uh, Front Row Motorsports. He is a he's a he's a business owner, um, you know. So maybe uh, that could be an outlet back for Kyle Larson. I do not see Larson going with the Chevy team. So unfortunately, I don't believe there would be any connection with him to go to Hendrick Motorsports. Um, so you know, um, it looks like that they're. Uh, Hendrick's really going to have to bring in either either he's either going to have to bring in, uh, Keselowski in or bring another young gun up like Noah Grasden. All right, <laughs> Jay, your follow up. Well, the the one thing, and this this confuses me about his talent on dirt. Um, you know, and Sharon, you and I have talked to him several times. I know with a couple of the questions when I got to talk to him. He really doesn't know a lot about the cars and the setups and adjustments that are made. So from that aspect, IndyCar kind of seems like it would be as those drivers don't necessarily need to know as much as far as the setup of the car or the adjustments that are made. But I I don't understand then how he is so talented on dirt other than sheer driving talent. You know, because again, Chris can vouch for this. A lot of the guys we know that, that run dirt, you know, in between races, they're the ones under their car. Um, or being telling their crew chiefs or crews that are there to help them, you know, exactly what to do, you know? So, I mean, that, that tells me it is sheer driver talent. And, you know, I think of the movie days of thunder when Cole trickle comes in he says, you know, I don't understand the lingo, you know, okay. That was a movie. I mean, this was a true case of that. You know, Kyle would say that when they'd ask about this adjustment or that, he's like, I don't know. Ask my crew chief. I, I can't answer that. And he didn't shy away from it, but he can go out there and drive. So, um, again, I would like to see him come back into NASCAR. I, the IndyCar thing is definitely intriguing. Like Chris mentioned, to see a driver go that way versus normally it is the other way, IndyCar into NASCAR, um, would certainly be interesting. So he's got to decide what's best for him. And as we always say, it, it comes down to money. And, and Chris has talked about that. And I'm going through this with the series that I work with right now, sponsorship money, especially for racing, let alone any kind of outgoing money, these businesses that we're willing to support just don't have it right now. So um, it might be a year or two before we're able to see that again, period, um, as it pertains to several drivers that he mentioned. 
Okay. There are a few drivers, by the way, and Chris, you brought up some really good points. There are a few drivers. I know Jimmy Johnson has said that he'd like to maybe do some IndyCar racing when uh, next year when he leaves uh, NASCAR. Uh, he's considering uh, looking at IndyCar. Uh, another driver, Kurt Busch, has talked about the possibility of doing that. And I think those are two drivers that if, if, if anybody can do it, they can do it. Uh, make that transition from NASCAR into IndyCar. And so we've got a lot to look forward to there. Um, And Kyle Larson, you brought up some really great points as to why Kyle Larson might be a better fit in IndyCar than even NASCAR. And, and Jay, you added uh, to that as well. And uh, I think those are all really good points. Uh, But, again, he's got to have the sponsorship in order to make those things happen. Uh, And we know he loves the sprint car racing. He always has, always will. It's always tough to kind of get time to talk to Kyle Larson because he was doing so much racing between the NASCAR and, you know, racing throughout the week uh, with uh, the sprint cars. So um, uh, it'll be interesting to see what – Kyle Larson wants to do, and uh, uh, that's that's. Uh, hopefully, we'll get an answer to that uh, sooner rather than later. Okay, on to the next topic, Jay. All right, the other one I threw out there to the uh, to the group um, was Justin Haley as well as then Colleague Racing. Uh, where they rank as far as a driver. We know that Justin Haley, with his win in the Xfinity Series, won a 32 drivers to win at all three of NASCAR top levels. And we've seen the, the building and uh, stepping up of college racing. Where do they rank at now as far as it, in the Xfinity Series, obviously? But Justin Haley as a driver as well overall. Okay. Uh, let's go to Chris. Ooh, we lost Chris. He just dropped. Okay, I don't know if he knows that he can't get back in, but I'll go ahead and take it. Uh, Justin Haley, I know, is a really, really talented driver. We followed Justin Haley since his Canon Pro Series days. Uh, it's now the Arkham Menard Series uh, East. And uh, he is a talented guy. Uh, he won a cup race before he won an Xfinity race. It surprised everybody. It was a rain-shortened race, but doesn't matter. It's an it's a Cup Series win, and uh, uh, you know I, I I just think that he's a uh, gem in the rough, if you will. And I think we're going to see great things from Justin Haley, uh, especially as time uh, moves forward. And as far as college racing, I do think that college racing. Uh, is becoming a contender in the Xfinity Series uh, within a very short matter of time. Uh, I remember when Colleg Racing first started, I was able to call there and talk directly to Matt Colleg, which uh, in order to arrange for drivers to be on the radio show. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's just one of those things that uh, they've worked hard for it, uh, he's gotten the right drivers in the right seats, and uh, whether it's uh, by the luck of the draw or just something that he saw in those drivers, uh, he's doing the right things no matter what. And if it's a lucky draw, then 
he's he's certainly got something to learn from uh that will help him in the future so i i think uh good things are happening at college and we're going to see more good things as the season uh moves forward and and think about aj almondinger uh racing part-time there too that was another good pick so jay your thoughts all right well i'm going to start here with again i put this one in our group messenger um unfortunately i just got the message from chris he said he got he got knocked off and he did try to call back in i let him know that as you said after 9 30 you can't so as i'm reading mike and andy's hopefully chris comes back with some of his uh on the topic as well okay. uh mike he put kr and jh so college racing and uh justin haley both have bright futures in the span of two years went from also ran to real contender Ross Chastain can't be overlooked for his contribution to that as well. And you mentioned A.J. Mm-hmm. Allmendinger as far as the organization. Um, scrolling down to Andy's, uh, Colleague Racing and Justin Haley had ranked them both about fifth overall. Uh, they are good, still room for improvement, and obviously would need to see some non-super speedway wins to give them a whoops, championship consideration. But they are getting much better as time goes on. Again, Andy also backed this up. I believe Chastain coming in as full-time second driver contributed immensely to the overall direction of the team, would expect all three cars to win this year and both full-time teams to earn playoff berth easily. And swap over here to Chris's. The organization is on fire. Well-built team. Drivers perform based off what the team can supply and equipment. If I was an up-and-coming driver, this is one organization I would hope had their had me in their sights. Uh, so that pertains to the organization. If you give something on the driver specific, I'll add that. And that is kind of my reflection, and, and we've talked about this. We have seen the elevation of college racing, and, again, it comes to a number of different factors. I know they had a couple of drivers in there in the past that I was kind of sad to see let go as Justin Haley came in. Um, but it has worked out good for them. Now they have Ross Jastain as well as A.J. Allmendinger. So I, d- I do see them as becoming one of the ones that I've said, I know they have semi-support or alliance with Richard Childress Racing, but they aren't a cup team in the Xfinity Series. And I'm not saying that is a bad thing. Um, again, they have to be there. You know, Joe Gibbs Racing Junior Motorsports isn't exactly Hendrick Motorsports, but obviously has that strong alliance. So to see a team like this, up there and contending and competing. And I think I left out Penske racing is another one that obviously has some championship contending drivers. Um, So I love to see that. And I do think that Justin Haley is, is overall kind of an underrated overlooked driver. Uh, You know, when it comes to, like you said, yeah, I got the rain shortened race. And I know some people have that opinion. He can only then win on super speedways, which I don't think is the case. So, and here I got Chris's, uh, let's see. He said, Haley is proving to be a really good plate racer. I would like to see the consistency spread to other tracks. I will always pull for the guys that have raced on dirt, and I think Haley is proving himself in the top ranks of a NASCAR, or he is just very lucky. Um, and we've seen that again. I mentioned drivers that get that tag of road course racer only. You know, it's not 
they, yeah, they may not get the win on the oval. I know A.J. Allmendinger comes to mind as he just got his first oval win. He has always been a contender on ovals. He just didn't have the win, as was strong. It, obviously, road racing was his strong suit and background. We've seen drivers that have that on the super speedways, um, and those are their only career wins. Um, but I do think Justin Haley is one of those, especially, and as one of them, and I'd have to look back and say, see how it is now, the equipment they're given. As Colleg Racing ups their game and, and the team development, thus we get to see more from the driver, and I think you'll see that come out to play on the ovals. Okay. okay that, was a, that was a yeah, lot of talking I... for three, four different people. I don't know how many I was tonight. <laughs> Oof. Hey, well, uh, you did a good job, Jay. Uh, and, and I think everybody made some really good points, and uh, definitely – uh, I think we have a lot to look forward to with Colleg Racing uh, in the years to come. I really think that the Xfinity Series uh, is really kind of setting a new bar uh, for that series. There's some really, really talented people in the series, and uh, uh, that's only good news for the Cup Series for the future because as new rides uh, become available, uh, for those drivers in the Cup Series, in the yeah, in the Xfinity Series, to be able to move up to the Cup Series, uh, I, I think we're we're going to see some really good things happening in the Cup Series as well. Um, and I'm just really, really impressed. Uh, we said the same thing about GMS Racing, uh, how quickly they came to find success. I think the same thing's happening with Colleague Racing, and I'm really, really impressed by that. But I'm also impressed by the drivers that are coming up through NASCAR System of the Canon Pro Series before this year and the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, they were part of the previous years as well, but now they're part of that whole picture uh, between the Menard Series, the Arca Menard Series, and then the Arca East and West, uh, developing drivers uh, that are moving up into NASCAR's top three. And that development process, that feeder system, is really, really working well, uh, I think, for the Truck Series, for the Xfinity Series, and ultimately the Cup Series. And one thing I know you mentioned, and I want to give a shout-out to their, uh, you, you said talking to the owner, Matt Colleg. Uh He is one that mm-hmm. is very active on social media. They do a lot of giveaways. And I know with on Twitter, um, you know, they have the the giveaway contest is tag six friends and retweet. He responds personally to a lot, I shouldn't say personally, his personal account. And I don't know if he has somebody else answering it. I can't answer to that, but uh I assume that that is is him, um, as well as on Instagram. But like I said, even if you just retweet it and enter that contest, that he responds to them um, with that personal account. So, again, a very active owner. And we heard A.J. AJ Allmendinger, the praise he gave him following his race win and how happy A.J. is to be a part of that team. I think that tells you a lot about that leadership there at College Racing. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, are, are we too close to the end here? We probably don't have time for um, uh, for another topic. But uh, let's go ahead and start our roundtable, Jay. And first of all, before we do that, I do want to thank 
uh, Chris Crichton for coming on and and being a part of our fan racing crew today uh, to kind of share his thoughts on the, on the hot topic sound off tonight. Uh, I, I think I think we might have uh, had a positive influence there, Jay. I hope so. Again, and that is one. And unfortunately, I haven't been down to Why Not Motorsports Park this year to actually see Chris in person. Uh, message back and forth a couple of times. So big shout out to the oldest voice. I mean, dirtiest voice in the south. <laughs> I gotta give him crap about that. You um, so bad. <laughs> I know. Um, no, hopefully uh, one of these weeks I, I will be able to make it down there uh, this weekend. However, it will not be as I'll be headed over to, as I mentioned, Talladega short track the hornet's nest lucas oil super late model series going to be over there so heading over there um do that occasional thing where i just sit and watch a race uh i don't get to do that a whole lot anymore and i still enjoy it so taking the weekend off you will if you will from uh broadcasting or whatever but uh it still involves racing so you can follow me on michael hoosman um yeah i don't know uh Saturday, let's see what the Xfinity race is. That one I might be before the race there, because um, if I'm on the road, obviously I normally listen to it on uh, Sirius XM, but then obviously cannot and should not be on my phone uh, texting right. while I'm driving. So have to right, wait and see. Right. But uh, a lot of times I know when I do jump in there, it's when I'm, I've stopped somewhere to grab something to eat or a bathroom break that I, that I do get back in there and jump in with you guys um, while I'm parked in a parking lot um but you can also uh, follow me there, on mopar mj8 on twitter and instagram and like i said not uh not going to be broadcasting or anything this weekend and just be enjoying the time with my girlfriend and enjoy some dirt track racing and again hall of famer red farmer fully expect to be there <laughs> okay uh that sounds like a good weekend okay i am um uh, fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio elsewhere, including FanForRacing.com. Uh, and we do have a few articles that are coming out. I'm working on the article that uh, Mike has submitted on the uh, inactive tracks within NASCAR. Uh, I know he has uh, a forthcoming piece about his, I think it's his last installment on the series for the number 48 car. So uh, as soon as we get that, we'll start doing the series then on the tracks. And uh, that's coming from Mike Orzel. Uh, Andy's told me he's got a Hot Topic Sound Off segment that will be sent in that we'll be able to publish this week as well. And uh, I haven't heard from Owen on the uh, power ranking for this week, but I know he was working on that. We're hoping to get the winners and losers started back up as well. Uh, And uh, definitely looking forward uh, uh, to getting those articles. And then, of course, uh, Sam does the recap of the cup races. He's going to have a couple of recaps this week with the doubleheader at Pocono. So a lot to look forward to at FanFarRacing.com this weekend and uh, definitely looking forward to a fantastic, action-packed, fun-filled weekend of racing uh, within NASCAR. So definitely a lot of fun in store. Um, 
And again, a big shout out to our listeners. I always appreciate anyone who takes the time to hear what we have to say. We hope you spread the word and invite others to join us and uh, to tune in to our Fan for Racing radio broadcast. So uh, we will be back on air on Monday. As far as I know, Sal is going to be with us on Monday. Uh, He may have to step away a few times, uh, but he is planning to be on the show for Monday night. So We'll start at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time with Hot Topics at 10, and then Jay and I will be back next Thursday for the next preview show as well. Uh, Same time frame, 8.30 start, 10 o'clock Hot Topics. So, Jay, anything to add? Did I leave out anything? Yeah, well, not that you left it out, but uh, maybe appropriately so, but given the shout-outs there, and I know we do as individuals to you all the time, but I think I can speak for everybody that does work with you here at fan for racing shout out goes to you providing this platform. Uh, the people you have brought in, not that we, not only that we currently have now, but others that have come through, you mentioned having to work with Chris uh, prior to, as well as some others, but what you do to get this all together, you know, we send you the articles, you edit them and everything. I know we had a guest on, on uh, Monday night, drew dollar, I know that's kind of taken a toll on it, but you have still been working diligently as as well as respecting the drivers' um, schedules and everything that they have. So I just wanted to make sure you got a shout-out for what you do, Sharon. Well, that was sweet, Jay. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And, uh, I, you know, it's I, I always tell everybody when they talk about the potential of coming to uh, Fan for Racing, that this is all about the passion that we have as fans of the sport. Uh, And uh, we certainly have a passionate group of people. And uh, not one person that I have talked to about this uh, that is with us now, past, present, and hopefully future, uh, not one person has said uh, that they mind that. (laughs) They, They have a passion for the sport and are looking for an outlet to express it. And I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. So, um, again, a big shout out to our entire fan for racing crew in that regard. I, I do appreciate each and every one. And uh, thank you, Jay, for your comments as well. So, with that, I think we're ready to call it a wrap. What do you say? All right. Enjoy the weekend. Uh, get to a track wherever you can. I know some states, unfortunately, are not available to yet. Um, again, Still got to work through some some of that. I know it's still affecting uh, no fans at Pocono, which is unfortunate. That's one that's still on my list, so I have to put that one on yep. the list for next year maybe. But um, And I know, I know Andy, us as a crew getting to go to – Oh, that's right. Andy got his tickets. Yep. <laughs> so, again, get out to it and support a track wherever you can, uh, whether it be dirt or asphalt, uh, the NASCAR Cup Series, and then hopefully, again, I know – as maybe later in the year or into next year that the whole fan for racing crew can get together and do some stuff together. Yes, I would love to do that. I think that would be uh, just a real blast. So we'll have to keep working on that. And I don't know if this is the year that we can make that happen, but uh, certainly we can uh, see if we can't make that happen in 2021. So thanks again, everybody. We appreciate all of you. Uh, and, again, let's uh, let's put our focus on loving one another and forgiving one another and uh, moving forward from here. Good night, everybody. Good night.